Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. Uh, this is Jay. And I'm the Nostalgia Shanna. I shriek about it so you don't have to. Why did they touch the snake? The snake, why are they touching it? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> oh, kitty. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, of course, that that will have to do with our second picture when we get there. Uh, before we even get to our first picture, I have an error in Sins of Omission, which we haven't done in quite a while. Oh, it has been a bit. Uh, been perfect up until then, I guess. <laughs> I, I haven't noticed any <laughs> stuff while doing editing. But uh, yeah, th- this uh, for The Godfather, uh, as came up as we were talking about The Godfather 2 when you were watching it over the weekend. Of course, uh, Mo Green, not played by Charles Grodin, but Alex Rocco. Uh, who also just, you know, great voice, has kind of a similar look in the film as Mo Green. Yeah, I thought, because I had said in the chat, I don't know if I said it on the show here, that I thought he looked like the guy from Shivers, and you were right. like, no. Yeah, it's it's not the guy from Shivers, though, I don't think. I'm pretty sure Alex Rocco isn't in Shivers either. I just remember thinking <clears throat> right. that he looked like Jeff Goldblum, and Mo Green looks like Jeff Goldblum. Oh, okay. So that, that's how I put them together. Right, but yeah, no, it's Alex Rocco. Like he was—he's he, the voice of Roger Myers on The Simpsons. Oh, okay. You know when uh, the the owner of Itchy and Scratchy, the guy who runs the oh, company. Oh, oh, him. Okay. Yeah. Like the screwballs have won. So that, that's him. <laughs> But anyway, our first picture this week is Strosik, 1977 film from director Werner Herzog, the first of his we've covered here. The first of his I've ever seen. The only thing I actually knew about Werner Herzog is that he existed and somebody made a meme YouTube video of him narrating Where's Waldo's Life. Now, I'm fairly certain you have seen one other Werner Herzog, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans. That was him? That's him. Oh, <laughs> I I can see it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's much later Hollywood Herzog, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, some, <laughs> there's some connection. Yeah. I mean, one of the things is I, I, the, the sort of unifying thread in Herzog's filmography is he has this love of film, of humanity, and he especially likes uh the broken ones you know he he's, he he loves all the kittens but he likes the the wobbly ones the best right oh i our, i just remembered our friend's wobbly kitten yeah uh he he loves the eccentrics and he he likes to have all of these people in his movies so like this movie is full of non-actors non-professional actors they all seem like just people yeah, they are so authentic, which is also amazing when you have a cast with so many non-actors to get such universally authentic performances out of them. It's really incredible. Like, it, it's the magic trick that uh, only Werner Herzog seems to be able to do. Yeah. So so was uh, Eva, the girl, was she a non-actor or like an actual she, just person? So yeah, she is an actress. She okay. is uh, the the one actual actress. She like she's a well known stage actress. Uh, she was in a bunch of Raina Werner uh, Fassbinder films. Okay, so she's absolutely yeah. Yeah, she it it does seem like a complicated <clears throat> performance for a non actor. 
Everything else, though, I believe that these are just people he found. Pretty much everybody else is. I, I will give some background on pretty much all of them because I, I listened to the fantastic commentary track. Uh, this is on uh, The Shout Factory. The first volume of the Werner Herzog collection. Uh, and there, there. Of course, there's the Werner Herzog. Uh, he does his own commentary on it, and you know, oh. he does on pretty much every film in the set. They're all so worth listening to. Oh. He's just so wonderful to listen to talk. Oh, I, I have to do that then. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's it's you know the the meme is just listening to the way he describes things and how he looks at the universe, and it's that, uh, and it's just him doing a commentary on his own film. So it's it's beautiful. Oh, that sounds amazing. And, like, I, I would say my thing about Herzog is he is a filmmaker who's also an anthropologist. He's really just kind of looking at humans and the human conditions, sort of as himself an outsider. Mm-hmm. I, I do kind of feel that from watching this. It's it's uh, what he calls ecstatic truth. <laughs> <laughs> the You know, capturing the reality uh, with exaggerated forms of it like you know you you are fictionalizing the world but uh uh capturing the the truth it didn't feel too fictiony to me although i guess (laughs) it feels absurdly real and yeah it's powerful uh and it's just i i just love his humanism that he is so fascinated by people uh i i can't remember exactly what it was but he grew up in like a very remote mountain town in germany or or austria or something that like he experienced war but he didn't experience anything modern for his whole childhood so when he first saw a film it was just this astonishing thing to him because he just like had never experienced even television or anything oh cool yeah i think i think we had talked about that before and it was just his first time coming into modern stuff and just kind of like being hit with it by a train sort of thing. Yeah, just it, it being just totally an overwhelming experience. He definitely talks about it in some of the earlier commentary tracks in the set because this is like a big scope of his work. Hmm. So Strozek, the name comes from this dude who wrote university papers for him. Like he he was failing at a university and not attending any of his classes. So he got a guy to write some papers for him. For <laughs> You know, he didn't have any money. So he said, I will make your name famous. So he named this movie after him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, did it work? I mean, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I mean, he made the name famous. I guess this is a pretty famous movie. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it, but then I don't follow film that much. It has some notoriety. Okay. And of course, so this one, Bruno S. is our main character, and he's playing Bruno Strosek. I think his real name is uh, Schleitenheim or something, but he just went by Bruno S. Okay. So he's our main character, uh, and it's sort of based on him. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the, as you can kind of feel that it's very authentic when he has his big speeches, they are coming from the the core of him. They are real. <laughs> his speeches that he never seems to deliver at an appropriate time. Well, I, I love Bruno. He's so interesting. He looks like Stephen King, but he sounds like the succulent Chinese dinner guy. Like he has that really enunciated way and like. Uh, like when he first comes in, he's being released from prison for 
drunk and disorderly, I guess. And <laughs> the guy is shouting out, name! And he's like, were you dropped on your head? <laughs> like, you have known me for two years. Like, very carefully enunciated every step of it. So good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but it's a formality, though. What can you do? Okay, fine. Yeah. So, like, his thing is, in reality, he was this guy. He was just very badly abused as a child. He was put into an institution at, like, the age of four and just basically lived in institutions until his 20s. So he's very otherworldly. And this is the sort of person that uh, Herzog was fascinated by. Okay, so, like, yeah. in They do mention that, actually, briefly about the character yeah. as well. Right, because he is heavily based on him. So this is the second film he did with him. The previous one, The Enigma of Casper Hauser, was sort of more closely based on it and sort of based on this other... Uh, it, it, he was basically playing a feral child, this guy who had been imprisoned in a small cell below a house. And just one day in his 20s, he's dropped off with a note in front of the police stations, like... <laughs> oh my God. This total mystery person who has had no experience of the world except living in a basement and being fed by a person in a mask with gloves. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a very strange and intense film. Uh, this one, obviously, a little bit more broke. <laughs> yeah, uh, this one feels a, a little more lighthearted than that. Yeah, there, there's a lot of humor to it. Obviously, this is why it took me a while to get to this one because. Uh, I, I like there there is a couple there's a, I think one movie in between this one and uh, uh, Enigma of Casper Hauser Heart of Glass in between so I'd watched that and saw this one this is another Bruno S one another based on Bruno S and it's like oh that's gonna be maybe a big one but it's it's so wonderful and beautiful I truly love this movie yeah it, it just feels like it just feels like he's just capturing life absolutely. Uh, so he he's given all his stuff, you know, he's he's being let out of prison. They give him all of his things. He has this sort of train horn thing just with like six horns on it. Oh, his bugle. They seem to be like, oh, he must use that for the track. Oh, OK. I'm like, this is normal to you. OK, OK, sure. <laughs> it's just this mega bugle. Yeah. And he <laughs> he blows it in the office. The <laughs> The Bruno is now entering freedom. <laughs> I I love the the credits. They're played on the prison TV. Did did you did you catch him saying you can keep my TV set to the guys? That's what he's talking about. Is oh. the glass of water or the the bottle that they can watch the reflection of people in the field next to the prison through? I didn't understand that. That's what he meant by TV. <laughs> Right, because there's no TV there. Yeah, and no, I, I didn't get it at first. Uh, it, Herzog talks about it in uh, the commentary. and like, oh, that's what he's talking about. And just you, you see some people playing in the park uh, reflected in it. And his sullies are so cute. They're so lovely. This, must, this is like the nicest prison I've ever seen in film. It's, uh, I would say, a fairly typical European prison, which are not oh. so punitive. As the North American systems, right, right. Well, I I also kind of get the feeling this is more like a like a rehab center, like like a forced rehab center, because they do mention that he's going to have to go to real jail if he commits any more crimes. 
Right. This is sort of just a, an institution. He's he is in here basically for a series of drunken disorderlies. <laughs> so many of them. Yeah, it's 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 his history. It's what he's known for. <laughs> I love how surprised so, he looks, too, when they're like, all your crimes are because of alcohol. Yeah. Uh, so his. His uh, his cellies both have presents for him. One has carved him this tiny little ship. It's like, oh, the smallest ship in the world. <laughs> yeah. And the other guy. Oh. All right. Oh, please. I, I thought that was like folded paper. That. Oh, yeah. Maybe. That he is. He made. Yeah, it's probably a tiny origami ship. Which is uh, actually more uh, impressive. Oh, it's it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the other guy's like, OK, well, first I have to set off a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Does the female prisoner 701 beast stable trick? Lights his fart. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he uh, the the guy. Uh, I, I guess it's the guy who runs the prison the, or the the institution lectures him. He's like, okay, so you understand that all of these problems come from drinking. Do you still like your beer? And he's like, oh, yep, 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 mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely. Like, okay. I love all his reaction shots in this. Just him, like, oh, excuse me? And then it's like, Bruno, it's like, wait, wait. I'm like, <laughs> he, he looks like he's drunk here in this. Yeah, and I think that's maybe part of his problem is that he is such an eccentric person that it's maybe not so much the drinking as just him being very odd. That could be it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Although drinking, I'm sure, does not help. No, probably not. It definitely would accelerate it. But you get the feeling that he just has uh, this PTSD for the past he's had, and it just makes him really volatile. Because in this, he has that – it's one of the speeches he has a few times. Like, it started with the homes, and it ends with the prisons. Swept away, swept away. And the guy's like, oh, Bruno, please, just let me let me talk. Let me say my thing. <laughs> it's all a circle. I'm trying to make it not a circle. It's like, no, no, circles can't be broken. And yeah, and that's very much what the movie's about. There, we, we got some circles. Yeah, yeah, we do. Oh, God. I got a couple yeah. circles. I just realized... There's... There's quite a few. the The There's ending is just like a lot of loops. At least two. Yeah. Well, probably more. It's few. So <laughs> the guy gets him to promise to never uh, touch a drop of alcohol. He's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I, I swear, absolutely. And then he leaves the prison, and the first place he goes is beer himmel, beer heaven. <laughs> Before he goes back to his house. Yeah, it's, he stops by there on the way to the around the corner. This was the actual pub that Bruno S hung out in. Oh, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and when we get back to his apartment, that's Bruno S's real apartment. Dang, all right. So that's why it's just like totally junked up and it's full of garbage and stuff because that is just <laughs> that is his reality. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, he he steps right up to the pub I'm like one beer, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like not even. Not even try to be sneaky about it or nothing. No shame, no nothing. Nope. He's just like, okay, I'm out. I told the guy I'm not going to have beer so I could get out. Now I'm out. I can have beer. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, everybody knows him. He's like, oh, hey, Bruno, you haven't been in a while. Like, Eva, how are you doing? Yeah. Uh, Eva doesn't look like she's doing so good, actually. Yeah, she is attended by these two pimps. 
did you recognize one of the pimps? I don't know if I read. They looked a little familiar. I don't think I recognized them, but they reminded me of the two guys from uh, the movie we watched a while back, Stingray. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Uh, uh, Greaseball and competent guy. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the, the first pimp, the guy in the fur, uh, he would go on to be Vigo the Carpathian in Ghostbusters 2. I haven't seen that in decades. Oh, fair enough. It's not great, but he, it's a very iconic thing because he's the guy in the evil painting. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, he play, He was a pro. Uh, he was a pro wrestler as the Prince of Hamburg. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, right, because he'd be German, I guess. Yeah, because this is the 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 Germany sections in Berlin, yeah. uh, and the other guy, Burkhardt, he was a former bank robber that Herzog knew. It's like, oh yeah, what, like I mean, actual... you guys both, yeah, for real. <laughs> All right. And he was recently out of prison. It's like, oh, man, the, these guys are scary looking. <laughs> these are some really scary guys. So obviously uh, the pimp number one, uh, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he obviously went on to do a lot of acting because he's in all sorts of stuff. Hmm, right on. Uh, so, yeah, they're they're trying to shake down a John, the two of them, uh, who <laughs> had some sort of thing with Eva. Yeah, the John is just not selling it. He's just like, mm, no, uh-uh, no. Like, yeah, I, I just don't think that, I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. And they're they're trying to, like, really, uh, they, they're, like, trying to sell her to him, it seems like. Yeah, and meanwhile, Eva's like, why do you leave me standing here in the cold? <laughs> yeah, like, this is a bummer. Could you just pay attention to me? Uh, I don't want to be sold to this guy. Yeah. Yeah. If we're supposed to be together, can I at least sit down? You guys are sitting down. And then ultimately, uh, Burkhart, the, the bank robber guy slaps her. So she goes and sits with Bruno and he consoles her. You know, they know each other They're Yeah. They're nice. And it's like, Oh, it's, it's okay. Come on. We'll start new lives together, honey. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I had a hard time pinning down uh, Bruno and Eva's relationship at first because I didn't think it was romantic or sexual at all until until yeah, it clearly it, was. Yeah, it's in the background, and it, it's the sort of thing. It's like Herzog mentions that it's just something that he did not feel he wanted to shoot. You know, like doing a sex scene with Bruno S would be very uncomfortable for everyone, uh, and you know, it's it's just he just decided it would not be a good idea. This is something that he didn't need to have in the movie. Like, we can just suggest it. We don't need to have try to make Bruno kiss someone because, you know, he's sort of a troubled guy. Yeah, um, I I always kind of viewed their relationship as kind of like surrogate father daughter at first. Mm. Well, there's Scheitz, of course, who has been taking care of Bruno's flat, uh, who uh, also, kind of just based on himself, just a real crazy person. It's <laughs> like Neil. It's a really he, he weird dude. Tries to become a mad scientist later and uh, figure out how motherfucking magnets work. Oh, yeah. He's got all sorts of theories, animal magnetism. <laughs> this is just a real thing that he thought and that uh, Herzog is like, all right, you just we'll, we'll demonstrate your animal magnetism theory and put it in the movie. Just get, go ahead and explain it and do the <laughs> proofs. I'm, I'm interested. 
<laughs> Explain it to these two uh, Wisconsin hunters. We're not <laughs> yeah. going to translate. Yeah. Uh, those were just two actual Wisconsin hunters who they flagged down on the street and is like, when you get uncomfortable, just get in the car and drive away. And they weren't sure if uh, like they were supposed to stop after that. So they just drove away. He never got their names. Oh, <laughs> they just drove away. Yeah, it was like them actually having this experience. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Oh, this is such an interesting movie. It's so good. So, uh, shite. <laughs> uh, He's a character. Yeah. Uh, he returns with the minor bird. Or actually, before that, we have the stuff with the pianos, where he's got his two pianos that he plays, like, on back-to-back benches. Oh, yeah. He's like, I think he's, like, trying to see if they're tuned right, and one's fine, and the other is not. Yeah, yeah the other one's not so great. He's like, my best friend is Ina Schwarzer, you know, a black one. Like, this is my black friend, my piano. <laughs> like, hmm, strange line, Bruno. The whole thing about the coffee stains on the piano. Right, and she's like, no, they're not coming out. It's like, yeah, we've tried everything, and they just won't come out. It's like, huh, they're not coming out. It's like, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm saying. But he, he's got this melancholy about him. It's like, I'm so worried what will happen to my pianos when I die. And she, she, she's just like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah, but I, I get it. It's it's so they're they're so important to him. But of course, uh, they are just left behind when he goes to Wisconsin a little bit. Yeah, I guess those would be extremely expensive to move overseas. Yeah. Uh, and why? <laughs> and uh, Bruno, Bruno don't got money. Bruno does not have money. Bruno does not have means. No. So Scheitz shows up and he has the minor bird and he's telling them about his move to Wisconsin. He's going to go by boat because he, he refuses to fly. It's interesting. I wonder if we didn't see their trip. I wonder if they went by boat with Scheitzer. I mean, they're all together. Like they arrive with Scheitz. So, oh, okay. Well, they must have. I okay. think. I Or maybe it is just Bruno and uh, Eva. At, oh no! Wasn't isn't Scheitz at the top of the Empire State Building with them? Oh no, he is. He is. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's there. So either they convinced him to fly, or they all took the boat. Man, I've always wanted to just take a boat overseas, like take like a, a Titanic thing, except you know, <laughs> ideally not, not like sinking, a, not like a Titanic. <laughs> yeah, one that doesn't have a stop in the middle of the ocean. Very abrupt. I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, that would be kind of fucking cool. I mean, <laughs> I, I'd kind of prefer that to flying in this day and age right now. Oh, flying <laughs> sucks now. But at the same time, I'd sort of hate going on a cruise because, as I understand it, cruises are fucking horrible in every way. Uh, so I don't know. But anyway, uh, the idea is he's going to go live with his nephew, who he's only met the one time just after the war. Oh, his nephew is an interesting character, too. His nephew's really fascinating. <laughs> uh, so we we get this one scene of Bruno doing his street music, which is was just his real gig. And this was a song that he wrote. Oh, OK. Yeah. He apparently it's just him going into the courtyard of this apartment building. What an incredible location. Mm hmm. 
just the the it's like clearly one of these big post-war blocks or, or this huge brutalist thing and he's in this tiny little courtyard that's dark and it's an all-black building with just full of windows looking down on him like only two or three people ever look out but he's going oh he's going hard he is giving this performance his all I like it a lot. It's it's a really fun song. He has all these little asides. Like he's yelling most of the lines, but then at the end of each one, he has a little aside. And he's like, yeah, mm. you know, <laughs> it adds a little bump, a little uh, bumper to it. But you know, not that anyone could hear other than himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. So of course, ultimately, the pimps start causing them trouble, and I'm not really sure what their game is. If it's because they because it doesn't seem like they want Eva back or anything. It's just they seem to be assholes. I think they're just... I think they're just bullies. Yeah, I guess. I, I, that's the best explanation I can come up with, because aside from Eva, Bruno doesn't have anything they want. No, and they just seem to hate him. <laughs> there, there really doesn't seem to be anything other than that, that they just uh, don't like him and... Because they they definitely do not seem to be annoyed about him having Eva because, you know, Eva comes with them and then they throw her out again and then they, they beat her up and leave her at his place and just, I don't know. Yeah, it, the relationship with Eva is confusing. I, I do feel that to a certain extent they see her as a form of property, which is a whole pimp thing. Yeah, oh yeah. And of course, Bruno, uh, they, you know, they uh, yell at him and he's walking around the streets with his fly unzipped. <laughs> his fly is always unzipped. Just all the time. He never realizes it. So the, the pimps show up to the apartment and have Eva, they've beaten her up and they sort of wreck up the place while uh, Scheitz and Bruno are just in the next room sitting at the piano like huh what the the hell's going on here and they they just like they're tearing like they tear one of his accordions in half yeah yeah and he's just sitting there watching like mm-hmm. hmm. well later we learn he's kind of like he's kind of paralyzed sort of yeah he, he he has uh he he definitely has a lot of ptsd from all of the abuse he received in the institution so it's kind of made him a very uh passive person in these sort of circumstances because yeah there's another time they just bust into the apartment and attack him yeah yeah when they're like yeah, get on the piano kneel now don't know not like that but like this and the the two dudes who played the pimps were actually drunk during that scene that, that was how they prepared <laughs> for the scene is they got fucking really hammered <laughs> that makes sense that makes yeah. sense <laughs> it really tracks with all of the things in this movie <laughs> <laughs> so then there's this really strange and beautiful scene that really seems key to all of this and the whole thing of bruno or bruno herzog as this uh filmmaker slash anthropologist where bruno goes to see his favorite prison doctor oh is that who he is that, yeah, that's sort of his, uh, that's why Bruno's gone to see him. He was the doctor who administered to him while he was in that prison or, or oh, institution okay. or whatever. So he is like the guy who he trusts, like the only guy he trusts. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
it's a very sweet scene of him just saying like yeah i mean bruno maybe you need to get out of this town things are just not working out for you a very extremely kind man who uh he was just really a pediatrician he was this guy who took care of uh the preemies oh that scene babies that scene bothered me it was like beautiful <laughs> but at the same time i was like ah put yeah. the baby down you're gonna break it it's so small and tiny apparently it's very good for them to you know get that bit of exercise and and have uh it's it's very good for them to be handled of course by uh someone who knows how to and they yeah he's showing off their grip how just like he puts out his finger and it will instinctively grip and be lifted mm-hmm. uh but yeah it's it's a sort of beautiful scene this guy was just a pediatrician who did this stuff and he, he talks about the mystery of human beings you know, the second film is kind of about the mystery of human beings, too, in a slightly <laughs> different way. Kind of a much more nihilistic sort of way on <laughs> Really nihilistic. <laughs> so uh, he comes back home from visiting the doctor, and Eva's just been beaten up again. And they're like, okay, we're going to leave. We'll, we'll all go to Wisconsin. We'll go with Shites. I love the scene where they're like, where is Wisconsin? Oh, hey, it's in North America. <laughs> How about that? Uh, Eva swears, I'll stay with you, Bruno. I won't run away again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which that doesn't Mm. work out so great. And Mm. circles. But uh, she she goes out and pays for the trip by, uh, you know, going to the Turkish area of town and uh, uh, having a train run on her. Yeah. (laughs) Basically. And uh, she very quickly gets all the money for the trip and they all head to New York. It's because she wasn't willing to negotiate on the price. Nope. 50. She knew what she's worth. <laughs> 50. They're like, no, 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 30. And like, no, 50 is too 50. expensive. 30. And like 50, 35, 50. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the empire state building in New York. Which is and he all these plays his shock. trumpet there. He, he plays his super horn from the top of the building. It it seems like you would hear it all over downtown. Yeah, it, it's loud. It's so fucking loud. Uh, all of this was just shot without permits. They couldn't afford permits. It's New York. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just like watched for cops and, and took all these shots. The same with all the stuff on the highway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, like when they're driving on the highway, you have all those shots where it's the camera on the hood. Uh, oh, and they just, I didn't well, know you needed permits for all that. Well, you definitely need permits because they're just not on a closed highway or anything. And they didn't have a camera rig. They just had Werner Herzog strapped to the front of a car with the camera. Oh, you would need a permit for that. They got pulled over by police four times and he got arrested <laughs> four times. <laughs> and he just managed to get them, talk them out of it every time. It's like, oh, you know, just an eccentric German filmmaker. Uh, one cop caught him twice. <laughs> uh, not this again, Herzog. Circles. <laughs> you. Just, yeah, I, and I love all these shots. The, the stuff with them uh, driving into the sunset and the Chet Atkins playing, it's extremely beautiful. It's sort oh, of this... Yeah. Uh, zen moment in the middle of the movie. I I love the highway stuff. So N- nothing's happening. They're not really talking. They're just going down the highway. 
yeah, just taking in the vibes. You you get all of these different shots from the inside and outside. Uh, them driving into the sunset with that uh, sort of melancholy country music playing. The Are You Going Away song. Mm-hmm. Which feels different each time it comes up in the movie. It kind of has a different resonance based on the overall tone of the film at the time. Right. <laughs> so they they took the bird away by customs. Like, yeah, he <laughs> seems to blame Eva for that. I don't. I don't get think that. he does. I think he's just. I cannot believe that the customs would have taken away my bird. Uh, I, I don't think he's really blaming her at all. He's oh, just okay. like he I just... just can't believe that that fucking happened. I never expected it. Hmm. Maybe just because he says like the way he says it, like Eva, what kind of country? Maybe I. Yeah, he's talking about he's the just country. Music. Yeah, okay. He's all talking right. to her. Uh, so they buy a station wagon, they drive to Wisconsin, and they they meet the nephew, Clayton. <laughs> uh, you know who he reminds me of? Who? <laughs> Ed Gein? Our, uh, I was going to say, our good friend, Ezra Cobb. This is Ed Gein territory. This is Plainfield, Wisconsin, uh, the yeah. actual town where... Th- so oh. that's the reason they went to... Plainfield, and it's the reason he went there. He was going to meet up with documentarian Errol Morris. They were going to dig up Ed Gein's grave. It never came. Or uh, Ed, know, Ed Gein's mother's fair. grave or something. They they had some plan, but it never worked out. So they were actually going to do an Ed Gein documentary. Oh, yeah, they couldn't have dug up Ed Gein's grave. He wasn't dead at that point. Oh, right. Yeah, no, I think it was the mother's grave or something. They were going to figure that out and see what was there. Uh, just for poor part. mama alone. <laughs> so the nephew, Clayton, he is just an actual auto mechanic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Werner Herzog had been doing some other movie in the U.S., I think working with Errol Morris or maybe it was uh, Les Blank. A couple of documentarians he worked with quite a bit. Uh, and th- this guy... Werner Herzog's transmission gave out, and this is the guy who fixed it. Oh! <laughs> he just had an eye for Like, man, this guy's great. I want to put him in one of my movies, and he was coming back to town. It's like, oh, I got to get this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so he's very authentic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, so him showing them around town, the Plainfield, Wisconsin, that they renamed to Railroad Flats. And you hear them say Railroad Flats a good, like, seven times in a couple minutes. Railroad Flats, the real name of this town that we're in. Yeah. It's called Railroad Flats because it's flats that has railroads. It's like, oh, yeah, look at all these railroads. And it's very flat. And someone translates it to him. And (laughs) they have the chain of translation. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because, of course, uh, neither... Well, I guess... Scheitz knows a bit of English, and Eva can more or less speak English, but Bruno does not. This is an important point that comes up multiple times in the film. Major issue. Quite quite a big problem for Bruno. Huge, especially huge problem. Reading. Reading English is a really big issue. Oh, that becomes a big issue anyway, yeah? Yeah. So they talk about... Uh, uh, Clayton is talking about how there are that there's five active murderers in this small town with a population of like 400 people. No, they said there was four, but I do think there is a fifth. Right. Cause there's this, this one uh, farmer who disappeared with his tractor completely. 
and just this huge, very expensive tractor and has never been found. Uh, all of these were true. This was just what was going on in Plainfields, Wisconsin at the time. Oh, man, I thought so they, <laughs> they weren't done after Ed yeah. Gein. No, that was like there there was like some big news story about how this tiny town like they did a list of where the most murders were. And somehow Plainfield, Wisconsin, this extremely tiny Wisconsin town was way up there. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah. So that was all just true. Oh, shit. <laughs> See, <laughs> I thought he was referencing the Ed Gein murders like. Right. Kind of well, obtusely. It is. They're, they're there because that's mm. sort of part of what they're talking about. But then there's all these other ones. And like, yeah, all of that was just going on at the time there. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> all right. It's that amazing thing, that ecstatic truth where he fits in a lot of reality and only a little bit of fiction. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I cool. guess the only, <laughs> the only thing fiction, I guess, here is Bruno's and Eva's story then. Basically, yeah, they're they're just sort of characters experiencing America as outsiders and having different approaches to fitting in. Yes. Or not fitting in. Or not fitting in. So at first they seem like they're going to fit in. They get good old middle America jobs. Bruno's going to get a job as a mechanic working with Clayton. Eva's going to be a truck stop waitress. They're both just having a great time doing it. How does Bruno, how does he know how to fix cars? Did the guy just show him or... I think yeah. he's just sort of working it as, a, as an assistant, lugging around stuff. He, he's like moving motors. Oh, OK. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, apparently, it's something that Bruno actually totally loved doing. And like while they were working there, he was just having the time of his life actually doing this stuff. Oh, OK. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Again, reality and uh, filmic reality. A lot of overlap. Yeah. So Clayton has this thing where he spends weekends looking in all of the frozen ponds with his metal detector to see if he can find the missing tractor guy. <laughs> he hasn't. He hasn't. But there, there's that part where they all go out and do some uh, metal detecting with it. It's it's kind of lovely. Mm. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to mention. Mm. Uh, when Eva's away from the pimps, she just is so alive. Yeah, she's um, doing so much better. Yeah. Like that, and that's that difference between like when she's with the pimps and when she's away from them is why why I singled out her as to why like yeah she's got to be the actress yeah she is obviously someone who has a real whole ass performance in this movie where uh, uh, everyone else kind of really does seem to be authentically being themselves which mm-hmm. is a whole different feat in and of itself because most people are not comfortable on camera and Bruno yeah. was not comfortable on camera but. Uh, Herzog is able to make it work. Interesting. That's I'm curious to see how, like I got to see more of these. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, There's that bit where Clayton pulls out one of his teeth. Oh yeah. And he keeps spitting out different colors of stuff. (laughs) So this is borrowed from a documentary that Les Blank made. Oh, Uh, it's just this weird documentary on, uh, small town Cajun people, and it's it's called Spend It All. I, I have this big set of all the Les Blank documentaries with this in it, and it's crazy. There's just this one dude who uses a pair of pliers and actually pulls out one of his teeth, and he's spitting. He's like, ah, yeah, oh, that feels so much better. Uh. And it's like, oh, what are you doing, guy? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, because they were shooting in Les Blank's country. Uh, 
or like literally just this area being he felt belonged to Les Blank. He wanted to borrow something from one of his movies. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It works. It's it's very much fits this character. Totally. And he says in the documentary or in the no, in the doc, in the commentary that the guy Clayton was willing to actually do it. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll actually pull out the tooth. I'm like, no, no, well, we can fake it. It's okay. <laughs> don't need to do. We don't need to pull out one of your teeth for real, please. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's that bit where they're talking about the two farmers next to them, the two rival farmers. Oh my God. The, uh, yeah, the two rival farmers, there's a strip of land, and there's a land dispute, and it's only about, like, three feet wide, but don't you dare go there. No. And we have this long shot of the two farmers, like, circling around in their tractors and their combines with their guns out. Yeah, they each are, like, toting a shotgun, looking real close at each other. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like Mad Max Fury Grainfield. Yeah. And like it, it's this whole chain of people trying to tell us like, OK, if Bruno's going to go out, make sure he knows about this. So everyone <laughs> like translates it to him and he has a, he's like, oh, yes, I have noticed that these two truckers or these two tractors pass by and they watch each other very closely. With guns. Yeah, with guns. So they buy their mobile home. Just this. Brand new, fucking sparklingly beautiful, fucking huge mobile home. This is a big setup montage. It's like they made it. They, they made, made it, it big They're... in America. And it's it's totally not sarcastic. Like you could see in so many movies where this would be treated as a joke. And this is just totally sincere. It's earnest. Everyone's like, we're having a really good time. Things have improved so much. Yeah. The, just the freedom of it. Like, this is them really experiencing the proper freedom of America, but they're unaware of the cost. Yeah. Ooh. Or at least Bruno is. Uh, hmm. Well, <laughs> I hope Eva is. Eh, yeah, I don't well, know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Eva sort of is aware, but just is uh, had, had different had different expectations, maybe. I, I do kind of feel like she... She understood the contract, but didn't under. She got it, but she didn't get it. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. She I is mean, a little bit more of a mystery than some of the others because she is someone giving a performance rather than someone who's just kind of living their reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's the scene with Shites doing his animal magnetism thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I I love it. Like the hunters, like, what does this guy want? Is that a voltmeter? <laughs> hey, sir, is that a voltmeter? And they they try to engage him a few times, but he just keeps babbling on in German about animal magnetism. And he, like, measures the voltmeter near the guy's crotch, and then he, like, pokes <laughs> it at the deer. He's like, see, I've proved it. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> you've proven. You've, you've proven a theory that's already been proven you ha- you've used an existing machine to measure the thing that the machine was already <laughs> designed to measure yeah he uh he he does this whole thing and like they he starts saying uh, alvedazen and like oh yeah alvedazen we know that's goodbye and like okay and they get in the truck and they drive off and you can <laughs> see them sort of hesitate and to like almost stop when they get to the end of the road and then they just keep driving and it's like yeah that's just what happened we didn't 
catch their names. <laughs> they didn't need to sign a release form. No one seemed to care about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I really like that shot of him writing out his proof. You know, after he explains it to Bruno and Eva, and then he has this sheet of paper where he's doing the math and he, he looks like a goblin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's this bit where he like looks at the camera and it for a long shot. And it looks like he's thinking, am I completely out of my mind? <laughs> Maybe he is thinking that like, and then he's like crazy. No, Nope. 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 I've he's got like, it figured out. Writing out his proof. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So that's when the the next is the metal detecting excursion where they find what may be a piece of the tractor. Maybe. It looks like it's a piece from a tractor. Yeah. I love just the beautiful long shot of them coming out of the forest and walking down to this huge pond that sort of fills most of the screen. Just the frozen pond. And then I'm all like having fun walking around on a frozen pond. I I had so much anxiety about it because... Every movie ever has taught me that you can't walk on a frozen pond ever without it falling into an ice scene. And it's funny because it's right after this that the cracks start to form in terms of uh, the the rifts in their relationship. Like, it, it does seem sort of like they're setting you up to feel a little concerned with that, with them stepping onto this, even though nothing actually happens there. Because there's oh. only like one more scene of peace. Oh, yeah, right. It's because, yeah, things are going to go to shit pretty soon. Because, like, they they have that one really sort of lyrical scene where she's doing the dishes and he's playing accordion, like, oh, right behind yeah. her in the kitchen. It's kind of sweet and domestic. And then it's like, the next thing is the bank installment guy. Yeah. How are we going to pay our installments? I'll figure it out. And the guy comes. <laughs> yeah. the The dude shows up. Oh, oh, like, oh, he doesn't show up quite yet, because first she runs into Al the trucker, who will turn out to be the new pimp. But we don't know that the first time we see him. Because they, well, they have kind of. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of get an impression that he, he doesn't he's, seem he's like a. Game. Yeah, he doesn't seem like a good dude. So because, yeah, Eva and Bruno have the whole conversation where she's just totally not worried. And Bruno's like, I'm very concerned. They have all this small print. I can't read any of it. And I just don't understand this stuff. And she's like, don't worry about it. I've got control of it. Yeah, how are you going to get the money? Don't worry. The I way she always like gets this. money. I mean, it's the, the same way she always gets money. And she knows that that's a way that she can do that. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if it's here or in the next one. But, like, he sort of alludes to it that, like, look... This isn't Germany. They're not going to treat you the same way. Like when I was let out, they were like, Bruno, you are free, but you don't have that same sort of thing in the prison system of America. And he's sort of trying to explain it to her, but he doesn't really have the words for it either. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think that is the next one. I think it is the next one. When he already like it's after she's paid off uh, yeah. the bank guy, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, the trucker pimp, Al, who. Again, he was just a trucker who was at that truck stop, and they were like, hey, can you do a couple scenes in a movie? They didn't even get his last name. <laughs> just Al. <laughs> Al the trucker. That's how he is in the credits. <laughs> uh, oh, we're going to – oh, we just took away this – the love of this man's life, eh? Don't you know? <laughs> yeah, I think we're running out of town with this guy's old lady. He's mad. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like this guy. He he's just stuck in town. He's like I I like the actor or the non-actor. He he does just feel like an authentic trucker. He's like, oh yeah, you know, come out to my truck and well, I'll show you a fun time. <laughs> oh yeah, wasn't there like this super complicated reason related to shipping about why he's stuck in town? Yeah, I can't remember exactly how it rolled out, but he was stuck in town for a whole week because of something not being ready. So he's just yeah. like. Right behind the truck stop for a week. I was like, hey, why don't you come visit me? Maybe we'll listen to music and we'll do some stuff, you know? <laughs> Eight track and chill. Yeah, exactly. And then it's, I guess, probably the next day because the bank man drops by and, and he just talks to them like they are children. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the last resort, you know, I, I, I really don't want to do this, but I might have to take your yeah, we might have to take the house as a last resort. We may have to take the home way. We'd hate to do that. We don't <laughs> want to, but you might need force the us money. to. Yeah, him saying we need the money in like as slow as he can say it. Just ugh, so slimy. He he reminds me of uh, Bill Lumberg, the boss from Office Space. Oh, totally. Uh, before he became middle management. Yeah, uh, he he's clearly just an empty suit. He he is a total fake. But yeah, him the we need the money is so good. <laughs> Look how compassionate I am. But really though, we do need that money. We need the money. And Eva of course has a wad of bills and is like, all right, take these. And I don't know if he even gives it to the bank. It kind of is like, oh, it's very unusual to take cash, but this will do. And he like packs yeah. it away and he's like, hmm, I don't know but what he's we doing. We do need the rest of it. We'll, we'll add this as an installment, but uh, we, we are going to need the rest of the money. So he, he's got that tone of voice. So when Bruno like escorts him out, he's like, oh, what a friendly visit. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Cause he, he doesn't know what this guy is saying at any point in time. He doesn't know that he's in shit. Yeah, he doesn't really get what's going on. He understands that it's about the bank and the installment plan. He he gets that much. Yeah. And he knows that he doesn't have the money. And then Eva has the money. And he's like, I'll take care of it. And he's like, you'll take care of it. Where did you get that money, Eva? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's like, and And I think it is here where he has the conversation about uh i i feel like you're maybe doing the prostitution stuff again it's so much worse of an idea here than it was there i, I thought we were making to be a fair break. to be fair he is 100 totally percent correct yeah he he's absolutely right like she is basically selling herself into uh, uh, like sex traffic like she is literally soon about to leave the movie to be trafficked across state lines, uh, across to Vancouver. To Vancouver, like, yeah. She's going to be shipped away to a, a shipping hub. <laughs> and the thing is, this Wisconsin is, we've talked about it before, that to me, Wisconsin is so Canada that I didn't realize yeah. they were shipping her across the country, just, right. or to another country, just across the country that we're already in. Right, because like, Wisconsin's pretty close to the border. Yeah. But, you know, they, yeah, they're they're going to head across to, Van, to Vancouver with Al. <laughs> this, is gonna, this is about to be an international crime. 
Yeah, well, and and just the uh, obviously Picton hadn't happened then, but Vancouver is sort of. Uh, I I think maybe by this time it was already sort of becoming a crime hub in Canada. So certainly where they had like Hell's Angels sort of as their base at the time. I would say by Strangler versus Strangler standards, Vancouver is 100% a metropolis. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly later on we've got Picton. It is now, this, for sure. This is, yeah, I, I, like, I don't know if there are any like notable ones at that time, but just the notability of them heading from Plainfield to Vancouver. It's yeah. like, oh, kind of gives me the shivers with her as a sex worker going to Vancouver at this time. And probably not realizing just how great a distance it is, because one thing Europeans, my right. understanding, they have trouble with when they come to North America is how fucking big it is. It's stupidly huge. Everything's far from everything, <laughs> especially in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're taking like a, a morning drive out to Vancouver. Yeah, it's it's a long haul. I mean, it's a, you, they're going to have to all, go all the way out to the coast. Yeah. So b- before that, we just see some scenes of Eva being obviously depressed at being back in the sex work business. Like, she's started to keep to herself. That, in turn, is depressing the shit out of Bruno. Yeah, it's like this whole thing where she wanted to have her own room, and then I get I understand both of their points, but it yeah. sucks. It sucks for everyone. It, it's a just a bad situation all around where it's like, I get it, because now sex is your work. You kind of don't want to do it outside of work, and it's this whole thing, and she just doesn't want to be around men outside of work, and it's it's sort of this whole bitter circle, and they, they get into this confrontation where he does that whole speech that he's obviously reaching into the reality of himself. Bruno himself is just talking about the institutionalized abuse he went through with the bedwetting. Mm-hmm. Quite a, a heavy sequence. And oh, the, oh him, with the like, sheet. And, oh, my yeah, God, yeah. Having to hold up a sheet until it dried, and then they'd hit him if he dropped it. Uh, the, I, I really like the bit. Like, he, he gets into it, and he stands up, and he's, like, mimicking holding the sheet. And just like, Bruno, sit down. He's like... Okay, and now this is the part where I sit down again. <laughs> Bruno <laughs> is sitting down. Yes, all right. Bruno will now sit down and continue. Uh, again, because he wasn't supposed to stand up when they blocked the scene, but he really oh. <laughs> delved into it. But, you know, it still works with the character, of course. <laughs> of course. So the the big thing is that he's talking about how, as a non-English speaker, he feels like everyone is treating him like a child. Like, he's just disrespected by everyone. Which definitely happens. I don't feel like that happened here to him. Well, with the bank guy, it did. The bank guy, it absolutely did. And he's not, he's starting to become aware of it. And we don't see much of him dealing with other people. But I think it's absolutely true that we, we do see in all of the subsequent dealings with anyone that he's sort of disrespected. Everyone kind of thinks he's an idiot, yeah, like like we get a scene of Clayton just playing with him. <laughs> right. Well, th- that's a weird one because I don't think Clayton's trying to play with him. I think they both don't realize what conversation they're having. Because, <laughs> like, Clayton doesn't speak practically any German. They have that one thing that they mentioned. He had one line that he knew in German from when he met Scheitz in Germany after the war. Right, right. But other than that, he knows no German at all. So it's just him doing 
like he, he's having a sex talk whereas bruno is just oh man i don't know what's going on with my life and the stuff with eva and this is just really i i'm kind of at the end of my rope and <laughs> clayton's like dancing and shouting about <laughs> sex and like doing hip thrusts <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like i don't need any more of your smart advice I'm just <laughs> <laughs> and, the guy, and the other guy is like, hey, uh, I don't think he's really listening to you, man. Yeah, the the other mechanic. Uh, Small change. <laughs> Whole weird thing. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he goes to find Eva. He's like, all right, let's go see what what's going on with Eva. And he goes to her work and she's not there because she's out back with Al and they're going to leave for Vancouver. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's funny because Al or one of Al's buddies actually brings him to the truck, not realizing that he's Eva's well, husband, nope. I guess. Nobody brings him to the truck. The thing is, he's out looking around and uh, the Al is on the CB radio talking to someone else in the lot. And they are just oh. and we we listen to him talking. And finally, Bruno goes up to talk to him because he's saying, Oh, we, we might have a, another customer right here. Hang oh, on that's just a right, second. Right. Yeah. And then he opens it up like, hey, you interested in some of this? And he pulls back the curtain. And of course, it's Eva. Yeah. And she's like, get out of here, Bruno. I'm going to Vancouver with Al. <laughs> it's like it's uh, such a bad idea. It's it's a really bad idea on a lot of levels. She is uh, definitely being purchased into a system much as uh, was sort of going on at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And so she drives out of town. Uh, the, yeah, as as mentioned earlier, the guy's like, oh, looks like this guy's, we're, we're leaving town with his old lady. He seems mad. <laughs> oh, don't you know? But oh, bless his heart. We're going to put do it to it and going to put the pedal to the metal. <laughs> <laughs> and then she drove out of the movie. That's That's it with Eva. And then the bank guy shows up again. And he has no defense. Yeah. Um, Eva was the only thing that was connecting Bruno to the world around him. Yeah, and he's totally he's, cut off. Yeah, he's isolated now. He's got nothing. Even though he has friends, they can't do anything for him. Yeah, he, he is like has no sense of communication. There's no way for him to talk to the outside world. He, he doesn't even realize that the bank man is telling him, hey, I'm taking your house now. Yeah, he just has him sign a paper and like, oh, and this will deal with it. Okay, well, sign this paper and everything will be fine. And he doesn't know that he's signing the paper for the guy to repossess and auction off the house and all his belongings. Yeah. Which is brutal. <laughs> yeah, that's so brutal. And the, the like the whole rest of the movie from this point, this is like the last 20 minutes or so, and it's all just absolutely incredible. It's one of my favorite movie sequences almost. It's just so... Like, it's dark, very, very dark, but there is this damaged beauty to all of it. It It's also maybe the funniest part, in a way. True, yeah. Like, it's very black comedy, but it's it's funny and it's sad, uh, and it's just deep Americana. It's like, let's really experience the weirdness of uh, American small-town strangeness when they go to Cherokee, North Carolina, that place. Woo. <laughs> but of course, first, the house is auctioned off by Ralph Wade, the actual champion auctioneer, like world champion. 
Oh, cool. So <laughs> this scene is incredible. <laughs> Amazing. Just this guy rattling off the super fast auctioneering uh, or the the. <laughs> my tongue can't even do do fast enough to make it fake uh as werner herzog describes it in the, the commentary tracks the last poetry under capitalism uh, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a song yeah it's amazing it, it does fa- sound very lyrical and it, it's sort of amazing but it's horrifying too <laughs> like just this gibberish that like he already can't understand english and this is just a total string of musical gibberish and then they take all his stuff away and the cherry on top though is when uh uh Scheitz goes to talk to the auctioneer and, and he's talking in german and the guy says in completely clear non-accented english he says sir i cannot understand you <laughs> yeah <laughs> shites goes in and like you can't do this to us not us i have friends in the cia i'm going to contact my friends in the secret service there's a conspiracy <laughs> here uh, <laughs> and yeah sir i cannot understand you <laughs> and just like rolls up his window and drives away that the shot just this incredibly long very sad but beautiful shot where they they have it set up some distance away and they tow the house away and bruno is standing at the edge of the yard and just the empty space where the house was that just blank fields for miles and one dog wandering around just until you get us the money though (laughs) just no we need the money we need (laughs) the money gotta have that money uh and yeah just bruno staring at this empty space and it's like a good like full minute uh very slow very long shot but beautiful and tragic oh i love i love the long shot like i love the pacing we i feel like we've Mm. been going through it pretty quick but some of these shots are long like the auctioneering uh rattling off probably goes on for about four minutes and they do it completely real time it just gets funnier every time because it looks like the or it looks like the people attending aren't even reacting and yeah, he's like, just huh. decided this one person wins but, but, the, but there is this whole thing to it that i that's like invisible to me yeah i mean i can pick out numbers but there's so much in between it that is like um i didn't really catch the amount that that went for until he says sold to this gentleman for blah 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 I think they buy the house for like five grand. Yeah, I'd buy that shit for five grand. That that is nice. But this is 1977 in the middle of Wisconsin. True. (laughs) So maybe, uh, probably a lot more now. Uh, So yeah, shites, obviously. It's like, well, there's a conspiracy. Let's fucking do it. We're going to have to go deal with this thing. Yeah, this one shot um, <laughs> that I was not expecting to see in the movie is the one that I sent you a screenshot of. Yeah, it's, like, it's a conspiracy. Let's let's go do this. And it's shites in the in the shotgun seat with the fucking shotgun. And they just got like all these shells on the dashboard. I'm like, what Uh-oh. are you doing, shites? This isn't <laughs> this kind of movie. You're not going to pull off whatever you're doing. 
but it's the saddest bank heist in history. They they uh. they go to the bank and it's closed. <laughs> so they go next door to the barber shop and rob that instead. It's like, oh, they're all connected. They're all in cahoots. It's a conspiracy. <laughs> and they they get like fifty bucks. I think it's like thirty to fifty dollars, and they don't. They leave their car running outside. They just. I think they throw the gun in the back seat and then they go across the road and go grocery shopping. <laughs> yeah. Let <laughs> those to reveal that the shop. <laughs> it's so guileless. You know, they, they come up the stairs from the barber shop. They throw the gun in the back seat, close the door <laughs> and just walk directly across unbroken <laughs> shot to the grocery store. And then it's just them in the grocery store. And like, <laughs> Looking at stuff, uh, Bruno picks up a frozen turkey that it's going to be his companion for the rest of the movie. <laughs> you can see the bank that they tried to rob from the window when he's getting arrested. Yeah, the the alarm sounds, and they're just <laughs> still sitting there, like not really realizing what it means. Because this seems like maybe the kind of thing that Bruno has gotten up to in the past in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> this is maybe the sort of thing that he was institutionalized for. Now, Bruno, don't commit any more armed robberies or we're going to have to start putting you in real jail soon. Well, I, I don't even feel like you can say what he did is armed robbery. He was just sort of along for the ride of someone having a psychotic episode. Still like freaking in felony line in Fifth America. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he he's going to be facing big trouble. So Scheitz is just arrested. They show up, they pluck Scheitz out of there, and they don't realize that Bruno's there. How did they know it was him, though? <laughs> I don't know. Scheitz I... is the most unique-looking man. <laughs> yeah, he looks like, uh, sort of like Dobby. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, yeah! <laughs> Human-sized. Uh, yeah, they, they haul him away, and still shouting it's a conspiracy, and Bruno takes the frozen turkey, and uh, heads back to the auto shop uh, where he proceeds to steal the tow truck yep and head on out and takes a long drive to cherokee north carolina where the engine catches fire oh yes that's that's a problem when that yeah happens. You, you see him starting to roll into town and then like there's fire inside the grill so he's like pulling off like hmm that's not great and he goes into the sandwich shop uh, and there's a guy there who speaks some German. It's the first person he's run into in America. It's this traveling salesman who knows a bit of German. Oh, right. The guy is like, so your car is kaput. Your woman has left you and uh, you're down to your you're totally out of money. It's like, I'm sorry, my friend. It's, uh, that is tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. And you don't speak the language. You, oh, yeah. God. It's kind it's, of fucked. He's, he's fucked. Because as, as Bruno says, this is my last $3 as he's paying for the, the burger he gets or whatever. Yeah. I love this little town, Cherokee, North Carolina. What a fascinating little tourist trap. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the ski lift thing that they have. Chairlift. Or chairlift, yeah. Yeah, because there, there's no actual skiing. It's just a lift that goes around. It's a ride. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like the little, well, we'll, we'll get to well, it. There's, but like, yeah, there's the educated animals uh, shop or whatever. Uh, all of the different animals that do all these little tricks and do these cycles for treats. Again, 
really uh, representing Bruno in a way. While also being a very uh, uniquely small town America kind of thing. Yeah, and, and like very tourist trappy. And I like that it is a tourist trap that traps him. Uh, mm. Uh, so first, he sets the truck just spinning in circles himself. So, again, we're setting up a circle. The, the truck's rolling in circles in the parking lot until it explodes. Yeah. The engine's on fire. Right, right. And then he heads into the chairlift, and he just puts coins in all of the little animal exhibits. So we've got our dancing chicken. We've Love got our firefighting mouse. Uh, firefighting um, rabbit. Uh, the or rabbit firefighting fire rabbit, chicken. yes. Yes, <laughs> it, it, right. it uh, gets on the the fire, the little toy fire engine and rings the siren. <laughs> uh, the kissing a, bunny. Yeah. Uh, the piano playing chicken, as well as the dancing chicken. The dancing a, chicken's the real star. Oh, he is the star. Uh, there's a duck that plays the drum. I love the duck that plays the drum because th- that one doesn't come up until the end credits. Like mm-hmm. we. In the first part, we just have a couple rabbits and a couple chickens, and then they show all of the others <laughs> yeah. in, in the end credits. Uh, I love all of these. They're so cool. Apparently, uh, the rest of the crew really didn't like this, like all of the animal stuff. They they thought it was tacky or, uh, I don't know, maybe cruel or something. So they uh, this is all just shot handheld by Werner Herzog himself. It, it's perfect for the movie. It's so good. It's so iconic. And just the imagery of it's so fascinating. Like, it's a real uh, interesting capsule of roadside Americana, which is just such a fascinating thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he goes backstage. He finds the controls to the chairlift, and he just sets it on an endless roll and gets on with the turkey. I, I The the back of the chair on the one he gets is one that says, is this really me? <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> that was not subtle. It was cool. I liked that. Uh, yeah. And specifically like Herzog waited quite some time for exactly that chair to get around and like, okay, now you got to jump on it right now. That's the one we want. <laughs> oh, so, so the chair already had that. Sign. Oh yeah. <laughs> nice. He's very good at like working with the stuff that was there. I didn't mention at the start that uh, this movie, it, it was because it, it was like a consolation because Bruno wanted to be in this movie Wojcik, which is the next one in the set with Klaus oh. Kinski. He wanted the role of Wojcik, but ultimately uh, Werner Herzog was like, it's just, uh, this is a Klaus Kinski role, not a Bruno S role. And it turns out that Bruno had already booked off all this time and had like cleared his schedule and it was all extremely embarrassing. So he wrote Aww. a new movie for him. Aww. <laughs> and that's this movie. That's very improvisational. You can feel how put together it is or, <laughs> you know, uh, improvisationally just uh, all of these things. Just like, okay, we're, we're going to keep rolling with this stuff. <laughs> so he gets on the chairlift, does some circles and we're just hearing all these sirens because the truck has exploded outside. <laughs> yep. Uh, the 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 fire truck rabbit is going. Oh yeah, everything's going. Like every single one of them, we hear all of these uh, different cycling noises from all of the <laughs> the the different uh, animal exhibits. The dancing chicken the, with the same thing playing over and over again. <laughs> uh, 
and yeah, he gets on. We we see him do one full rotation, and then as he's going up the 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 second time, we're from the distance on the street where you can see the the chairlift going up to the top in behind the building with the educated animals and the smoke of the truck in the foreground and all of the police vehicles arriving. We hear a shot. Yep. We, we sure do. That was, I knew it was coming, but Oh man, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. It's yeah, it's rough. It it is a hard ending for Bruno. And like, obviously the assumption is that he kills himself and uh, Werner specifically says that it's not directly shown and it's meant to be a thing where you can interpret it how you want to interpret it. And he wants people to uh, believe whatever they want to believe about it. But it has always been his own reading that uh, certainly he shoots himself. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, it it does kind of read that way. The police show up, (laughs) Uh, the police show up, the real police (laughs) again, just the real police of this town. And then, you know, truck on fire, there's a man on the lift, and we can't find the switches to turn it off. The dancing chicken dances on. <laughs> the dancing, yeah. no, we can't stop the dancing chicken. <laughs> That's it, we can't <laughs> stop the dancing chicken. Uh, and then, yeah, we go to the closing credits with all of the educated animals dancing. And they, like, uh, there's this sort of, uh, I can't remember who it is playing at the end, this very like rootin' tootin' yeehaw kind of song. <laughs> it's like a accordion or a harmonica. It sounds like I'm not I think sure. It's a, I I believe it is a, a harmonica and just like yeah, foot stomping, guy going woo quite a bit, <laughs> and it sort of blends really well with the the dancing chicken noise and the drumming duck. Yeah, it, it works. It's the just... rabbit fire chief. <laughs> it's cacophony. <laughs> what a way to end this movie after such a depressing note yeah it's it's feels sort of vaguely uplifting in a weird way like again it's all of these cycles but i don't feel like it's that nihilistic you know it it doesn't feel nihilistic the way prometheus feels very nihilistic about humanity (laughs) which we'll talk about shortly it's it feels very warm. It's just like things didn't work out for Bruno because he got in a circle that he couldn't get out of because he was trapped in a place that didn't fit him anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, Eva as well. Uh, She was probably better off in Germany, if not necessarily in Berlin with those guys, because things were just not going great there for anyone. No, um, those guys were psychotic though those guys were totally crazy uh and and of course like bruno it it seemed like he was living better in berlin you know it's not that he was probably making a lot of money doing his street musician stuff but it seemed like something that he enjoyed doing whereas i don't know things are just not right for him there yeah america never really seemed to work for him but who knows what would have happened if he had learned the language yeah, I mean, I guess that would be really tough. I, it, it just seems to be, it, it was a place that didn't fit him, and there was no way for him to start to fit in, because I, I do feel like learning another language would be a really, really big ask with his past and, and how yeah. institutionalized he is and how much PTSD he suffers from. True, true. 
but yeah, we, you know, we, we head out in the end credits on the dancing chicken, mostly the, uh, and it, I, they're all like doing their tricks over and over again because the treats are not coming out. So they keep doing it again. <laughs> they don't understand, uh, uh, which, you know, uh, it, again, the, the metaphors of this movie are, uh, clear, you know, they're, they're not subtle, but they're also not obvious in a way that like, they're not definite you're sort of let it's it's allowing you to take your own interpretation from it that, that sort of uh Herzog's whole thing he wants you to engage with the work emotionally and obviously there's just circles and circles and circles well the whole end credits is just these chickens going in a circle now yeah the the chickens in the circles the chairlift going in circles the truck was going in circles until it exploded characters uh, have been going in circles the whole the time yeah well eva ends up back in the sex work bruno uh ends up just going on another crazed bender even though it didn't actually have anything to do with alcohol it's just sort of the the the, the circles that he gets himself in he's moving back into the institutions and he's just not willing to go into a new institution and he certainly doesn't want to go into an american institution no uh, 1977, getting into a mental institution in America, that would be tough. Uh, I think you'd just end up in jail. Uh, yeah. A real, real bad one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that is, yeah, pretty much it. That's the end of Strozek, uh, which is just, I, I really loved it. it. It's really good. I really liked it. Uh, I didn't know at all what to expect, but uh, yeah, it was really nice. It was funnier than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. It's it's very moody, <laughs> uh, and it's it's sad and beautiful. Uh, uh, apparently, the, it was the final movie that Ian Curtis of Joy Division watched. Oh, like, just before killing himself. Oh, okay. uh, so that that's that's hmm. a big part of its notoriety. So there there is that. Uh, oh my! I I find it to be a very uplifting film in a weird sort of way, but I do agree that there is sort of a darkness to it that obviously the story of Bruno of this person who just does not fit is uh, harsh, but I don't feel like it has uh, a negative view of humanity. It has a negative view of systems. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Cause most of the people who he deals with are pretty nice and are, are welcoming. It's just, they have no real way to communicate with him. The only real problem is the bank. Mm-hmm. And the last poetry of the auction, the <laughs> last capitalist poetry of the auction. Uh, so this is in a box set. I know the next one in this is Wojciech, which is a Klaus Kinski film where he's a soldier who uh, he has an illegitimate child and he has no money. So he's doing all these odd jobs around the camp uh, and including medical experience for the camp doctor who is making him go on an all-peas diet, which is making him go insane. Uh, <laughs> sounds kind of crazy. It's very another very Herzogian thing. So this, we could go to that next, or, you know, because you haven't seen any of the earlier movies, we could go to one of the previous ones if you'd like to. What do you figure? Well, I do love me some Klaus Kinski being crazy. Yeah. So let's uh, do that one next, or let's go to that one next. All right. Uh, that That is one I have not seen. Uh, so that the, one of the few I haven't seen at this point, I think. Uh, nice. 
but we we've got a bunch of uh Herzog and Kinski in that set because that that's kind of his main guy. Oh, really? Kinski. Yeah. Oh, okay. Werner Herzog and Kinski have a long and storied collaboration. There is a documentary about the two of them called My Best Fiend. Hmm. I only uh, know him from the westerns. Oh yeah, uh, he is an absolute madman, Klaus Kinski. Uh, <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> firing off guns on set, uh, causing all sorts of problems. He's uh, very, very crazy in some of the other films. Uh, and yeah, he like they had a very strange and volatile relationship. They eventually just had to stop working together because they would just be uh, at each other all the time somehow. Like they just somehow everything was a, a battle with them. Hmm. Which you wouldn't expect from how incredibly chill Werner Herzog seems to be all the time. But that's just Klaus Kinski. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Wild and volatile man. Okay, so any last thoughts before we move on to part three? Um, yeah, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Dale Gribble noises with some money amounts just inserted in the middle. This is five million. Yeah, uh, okay, uh, on to part two. And we're back for. Part two, where we're talking about Prometheus, directed by Ridley Scott from 2012, and uh, sort of, sort of a prequel to Alien, kind of, sort of. I see it as like more like a prequel to the Alien franchise. There's yeah. a lot in between here and Alien, and they, I don't think they're necessarily directly connected, even though they do take place in the same universe. Yeah, they're sort of connected. Uh, the, the idea, it, it's the source of aliens, like, it, but also the source of people. It, it's a much more philosophical movie, but with a lot of uh, characters that are not so philosophical. Uh, as we alluded to a few times in the first part, an extremely nihilistic movie. <laughs> it is, um, yeah. <laughs> the message of the movie is basically, okay, if you think... If you think God's so great, then how about this? If God created us in his image and we're shitty, isn't God shitty? Yeah, kind of that. And and it's just kind of that. Thing. It's not exactly that. But yeah, it's it's along those lines. And just the, the idea of maybe uh, the, the idea of searching for God uh, where we have some idea of God as being this being who made us in his image. Just maybe that's not something we actually want to look that much deeper into if we were constructed because it's also chariots of the gods so it's alien ancient aliens that we're going to specifically meet as the creators of mankind and not some unknowable deity yeah uh uh they they built the pyramids they taught us cave paintings uh they did all of that we didn't do anything yeah, uh, probably the the Moai on Easter Island, all of oh, that. That's stuff. probably them. I'm yeah, sure of it. Chariots of the Gods. Uh, if you haven't seen it, kind of almost essential viewing as a prequel to this, as well as 2001: A Space Odyssey. Right? Mm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> similar, similar idea. They were more unknowable in 2001. True, but I feel like the two of those are like mashed up, and then made a prequel to the alien concept 
and it's sort of like synthesizing these into this other thing. And it also weirdly returns Alien to its earliest form as a slasher movie in space. It just takes it off of the spaceship onto an alien planet. Mm-hmm. This movie, if I recall correctly, was hated by just about everybody oh, yeah. when it came out. Nobody liked it. It, it was, uh, I mean, people liked it, but it was one of those that just, it was a lightning rod for every allegedly kind of critic on, especially YouTube. You know, this is 2012. <laughs> the nostalgia critic was in his prime around this time. I don't know if he removed, if he reviewed this movie, but I, I remember... I think it may have been him or someone like him. Because uh, I do remember there being just a million clickbait reviews of this and all about mm, the way people act is so unrealistic. And you watching wouldn't it touch now, the snake. Yeah. Now in 2023, watching it after the last couple years and just the years of everyone being indoors and how that's broken everybody's mind and the, the way everyone's mind broke during the whole affair. It's like, Everything they're doing is so realistic to me that it's just painful. <laughs> it, it's, it's become a better satire with time in only 10 years. Yeah, it, it makes so much more sense if you don't think of this as humanity's first contact mission as it's, and think of it as Elon Musk's first contact mission, that everything makes sense. Rich Uncle Skeleton. <laughs> Mr. Burns, Mr. Burns has frozen himself and to try to find the cure to 38 stab wounds in the back. Guy Pierce says Joe Biden. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the man in the worst old age makeup, considering oh, how good God. most of the effects are in this movie. He looks more alien than the alien. He kind of does look like the engineers a bit more than a human being at this point. He's just a melty man. Uh, <laughs> they, they went a little bit much with that. But yeah, the Guy Pierce as... Wayland is the founder of this journey and like as always in the alien series and fr right from the beginning the idea is that Wayland is this ultra capitalist mega corporation <laughs> they're not good <laughs> no so this isn't like a, a benevolent journey and it becomes very quickly apparent when everybody unloads and they're going through the stuff that like I mean, these guys are in charge, but really, <laughs> I mean, the money people are in charge. Mm -hmm. So we open with a beautiful flyover shots over what I thought was Earth, but is or what I thought could be Earth, but could also be an alien planet. Yeah, it I is think, an alien planet. Yeah, I believe it is meant to be an alien planet, but meant to represent what they also do on Earth, which is just exactly like the ending, a thing that maybe he's just trying too hard to divorce it from both earth and uh alien the end of alien or the the end of this to the beginning of alien where it's just like okay i i get it i get that you're sort of hedging your bets but like if you're already saying this is essentially what they do on earth and like why don't you just make it earth does it matter <laughs> <laughs> make it niagara falls it's fine i, I really do like uh some of the landscape shots, like the oh, the beautiful. waterfall canyon. Oh my god, oh, so cool! Uh, and just I I do like the engineer design. Really fucking creepy, muscly, big white alien. Yeah, yeah, but like an uncanny valley human, which is which is Very what they need to be. Face, but yeah. like muscly. Yeah, 
giant like a, pig. Like a Star Trek alien, kind of, is what it yeah. reminded me of. True, although they're they're kind of giant. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if this is supposed to represent any kind of uh, uh, popular modern alien concept. Like, I don't think this would be like the tall whites or anything. I I don't think so. Probably. I, I think this is its own thing. So the idea is that... Sorry. No, no go ahead. The, the idea is that they are the progenitors of humanity. They create life on Earth and they use... The, the guy drinks some sort of fluid. <laughs> yeah, we don't... Destroys really... him inside. Melts him up. At this point, we don't know what it is. Uh, we do find out what it is, but then that begs the question of why he's drinking it. I, I mean, I guess this is sort of a ritual suicide slash sacrifice. It's a question of whether or not he knows what he's been placed there to do. But, you know, he drinks this shit and then he turns into like he starts melting and he falls into the waterfall and he becomes the life on the planet. Oh, is that what that's meant to represent? Yeah, they're they're seeding the planet. OK, so. Oh, the, OK. So this scene just makes a shitload more sense now and could and it, have taken place on Earth. Right. And it also sort of suggests the same technology that they use to create the Xenomorph with uh, their weapons testing planet that we ultimately land on thinking we're going to find God. Oh, so this <clears> is <throat> a different compound that he drinks. Yeah. Or like I, I would have to assume it's a slightly different version because this is meant to seed the planet, whereas that one creates aliens. And that's the one that backfired and killed all of them. Right. Because when they get there, everybody died of this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, this was them. The, the experiment that didn't work out quite right, that it wasn't contained properly. And also, it seems like it was sort of initially designed to be a safety feature. But we'll we'll get to some of that, like a safety valve on humanity coming out of. Uh, human areas oh oh okay interesting I'm, I'm curious to see what you have to say about that yeah and then we fast forward in unknown long amount long. of time because we don't know when this happens to uh, the pre or the near 2089 future. <clears throat> not that far <throat> into the future no um, you and i could conceivably still be alive when that happens mm, maybe potentially potentially uh, where we have our two main characters, uh, Holloway and Shaw. Well, Shaw is the real main character. Shaw is the main is the character, decoy. yeah. <laughs> Holloway is uh, kind of a shit. Holloway, Holloway kind sucks. Of sucks. I it's, don't it's, like him. It's it's funny that like a, a solid 80% of the cast are all people who are just like, they are dead meat shitheads because this is a slasher movie. It's weird in a movie with this otherwise very wide scope these incredibly sophisticated effects and just heady philosophies about the history of humankind and uh the the search for god and it's just like a whole <laughs> bunch of real fucking slasher movie shitheads who are like aggro <laughs> dick bags yeah it's so weird. <laughs> so shaw is our real character and holloway is our dead meat yeah uh, the shitty boyfriend, the shitty boyfriend, or husband. I guess they're. I think Hus they're married. I think they're married. And they're. I think they are. It's it's like Jurassic Park. They're uh, um, a couple who are archaeologists, but they're archaeologists who go after ancient aliens. So again, <laughs> it's the sort of people that Elon Musk would be putting on the spaceship to go to find God. So 
if you've seen Chariots of Fire, you realize that... Chariots of the Gods. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> Chariots of Chariots. Fire is a movie about the Olympics, to Jewish uh, athletes in the Olympics, that in Munich, I think? Yeah, oh. something like that. Okay. Chariots of the Gods, uh, their whole thing is looking at ancient carvings and ancient stuff they found from ancient civilizations and willfully twisting it to such a degree that they say, okay, this has to be proof that it's aliens and cannot be anything else. I, I would say that is a little bit or, unfair of a, a sorry, characterization. Sorry, because... ancient aliens is doing that. Yeah, that, that's definitely the History Channel version of ancient yes, aliens. And I, this I'm is sorry. sort of also responding to that chariots of the gods it's like it's it's more insidious than that it's more just them showing all of these things and looking like doesn't this kind of look like a spaceship doesn't it make you wonder the guy's always like isn't it interesting though and look at these here and here and here and they're all in different places of the globe what and if what if what if yeah, what if <laughs> so and like it, it's it's less direct about the racism i guess <laughs> it's oh, like well yeah, obviously the darker people couldn't have thought these things which is sort of the implied concept behind ancient aliens which makes it kind of a bad concept but it is fun like that's why i love chariots of the gods as such a silly ride where it's just yeah but what if isn't it fun to imagine <laughs> and it does teach you some really cool shit about true stuff that's it's just got beautiful photography of a lot of ancient areas and just these classical cave paintings and cool architecture, all the pyramids. Yep. Uh, but speaking of cave paintings, that is what our uh, heroes have found. A giant man pointing at five dots in the sky. A star map. A star map. <laughs> these five dots looking at this is enough to pinpoint where in the universe you need to go. Well, it's because they found it a bunch of times, and then they've been looking through space for some time, and someone has found a matching star system, finally, that, like, exactly matches this same painting. Sure. It's explained um, a little bit later. They do go through this. Oh, yeah, I, I know. I just think, <laughs> I yeah, think I mean, it's a little yeah. silly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's convoluted, but it's like, okay, the, it, this is our ancient aliens thing. We've... Uh, found this exact same pattern a whole bunch of places, and then we've looked for this pattern and never found it before, and suddenly here is finally one where, looking at it from Earth, we see that exact pattern. So it's like, hey, do you think that's it? Do you think this is where they've been telling us to go? And yeah, it's where I, they're telling them to go, but it's they're not telling them to go there for good reasons. <laughs> no. uh, I, I kind of share Charlize Theron's... Uh view about this is that she's pissed off that it turned out to be true like <laughs> this dumb shit was actually right yeah it's like this is this is absolute bullshit yeah well so the i, I guess we, we can just sort of get right into it the the idea of it being sort of a pressure valve for humanity is is one of the concepts that uh this is their weapons testing facility is, is what it ultimately turns out to be this is their chemical weapons planet yeah yeah that that's what the the star map is pointing to yeah so it's not somewhere that they want humans to come to learn stuff it's humans to show up there so they can use them as testing dummy as like uh you know they, they can put the aliens in them they can use them for their chemical weapons and or they as sort of a pressure valve where it's like oh shit they've gotten all the way out here we need to go exterminate all of them right now that experiment has gotten out of hand right yeah the idea um, that maybe humans are another chemical weapons project that they were funding that they think is a failure and that they've like at the time that everything went 
fucking south here. Their plan was to head to Earth and destroy it. <laughs> as it turns true. out at the end. Yeah, it's like, well, we've got this other place that's been terraformed that we could live on. We just got to get rid of the shitty people there that yeah. we stuck there. Yeah. Uh, awful. <laughs> they, like we're we're a plague on the planet and they they did not mean to make us they just wanted to make a nice place to stay but we we've like fucked up the place we, we've really just ruined it you know i'd be mad too we we did fuck <laughs> up the planet yeah that, that is sort of the concept of it that you know god was not paying that much attention after all and if he had been he'd be really just pissed off and would have killed us a lot sooner <laughs> This kind of explores the idea that God, we're just assuming that God is omnipotent. Right. We're just and, assuming and that the people who created us. Because know we don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it turns out they're just like, they're too much just like us. Yeah. Well, because we're built from their DNA. Yeah. It's like literally a melted down one of them. But. It, it, we we we've lost touch with our roots <laughs> in, in some significant ways and also unfortunately got too in touch with them with their you know chemical weapons and militarization and just altogether bad attitude <laughs> yeah i mean the engineers seem like they suck right they they seem like they, a bunch they, of assholes oh they do they do <laughs> they've got mussolini heads everywhere yeah, they are Mussolini heads. <laughs> well, like a whole Mussolini race building. of Mussolinis. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I know exactly the one. Yeah. And the planet has a literal skull mountain. Oh, yeah. Although I think that's all of them from when just things went south there. Oh. <laughs> no, no, I mean a mountain shaped like a skull. Oh, yeah, that's right. There is just a, a skull mountain, which I presume they carved as a oh. warning. Could be a warning. Could be just them being like, man, our bone structure is awesome. It could be. That seems like their kind of thing, too. It's hard to say. We, we <laughs> never speak to the aliens. We never we only ever get to speculate about their about what they're doing. Yeah, it just seems like they think we suck. They they really hate us. Uh, they definitely want to destroy us, and they're really not cool with uh, us showing up at their chemical weapons factory. Yeah. When, oh, like, they, they maybe would have been happy to see us if they'd all been prepared for us to show up and, you know, things were working. The, everything's gone south, and now we've shown up. It's like, oh, this is embarrassing. This <laughs> other experiment got out of hand. All of our experience have got out of hand, and now we're fucked, and you guys are here. This is just a disaster. Oh, man. And now, you know what? These guys are doing their first contact with us. They're going to go back to their home planet, and they're going to tell them that we're warmongers. Yeah, like, I got to do something about this. Like we, we show up and wake up God after being just secretly asleep for centuries. It's like, oh, you son of a bitch i can't believe you guys are still alive i hate you so much i'm i am just ruining this whole place what what, what who told you to show up here you you come and woke me from my nap yeah i i think honestly i think part of the reason the guy was so pissed off is that like he saw the old man and was like this is what became of that experiment? <laughs> yeah, he looks gross. He's sort of interested in David, but he realizes David is fake. But we're, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. It's <laughs> like the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, let's introduce David, actually. David's so great. Best part of the movie. 
David. Well, best overall thing in the movie, the med pod scene is the best part of the movie. Mm, I agree. David yeah. is also not a dead meat. He is one of the actual characters. So good. He is an awesome character. He is simultaneously the antagonist and the audience surrogate. It's really neat. Michael Fassbender just doing a tremendous performance. Uh, I haven't rewatched it, Alien Covenant. I have seen it a couple times. I saw both of these in theater. Uh, but in uh, one thing about number two, there's multiple Davids because oh. Davids, you know, they they have newer generations of Davids and they seek out this original David and come to the planet that they crash on at the end of this one. And uh, I won't say much more about it, but there is a scene where two Davids kiss. Oh, yes. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> yeah, David is so amazing. Really fascinating character and just a really interesting performance. He's obviously modeled after Peter O'Toole from Lawrence of Arabia. That's what he's always watching and how he's styling oh. his hair. That's Peter O'Toole as T.E. Lawrence. Oh, okay. He also gives off a little bit of a HAL 9000 vibe at times. Absolutely. And I think pointedly so with him being named David. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not HAL, but, you know, he's always saying Dave. Dave is the one. Yeah. It's the name everyone associates with HAL, which is kind of funny. So it's now 2093 and they and we are on the ship Prometheus. Uh, not unlike the third part of 2001 Space Odyssey, we've got. Just one person manning the ship while everybody else is sleeping in cryosleep. Right. And David's so David. a day in the life of David the robot. So good. This is one of my uh, favorite parts of the movie, honestly. He starts uh, by by reading. Uh, he grew, he goes into the cryo bay uh, and he's got this helmet. And because of, I guess, his connection, because he's a robot, he's able to kind of read uh shaw's dr shaw's dreams while she's sleeping yeah that's that is one thing is that the technology is uh too advanced in places it it definitely is one of these sci-fi movies that is a prequel to existing stuff like definitely set earlier that is way more technologically advanced than the later stuff although as we were talking about uh that sort of suggests also that this is the luxury rich people ship whereas obviously an alien the nostromo is the blue collar working folks ship it's a mining ship yeah this ship has like cool holograms and uh space to move around in a gym the nostromo workers don't need any of that especially not when our plan is to kill them anyway well they they have no plan to kill them they are actually miners the thing is they just happen to have caught a signal uh, on the way back and that signal is just for anything in the fleet right right david is also playing basketball on a bicycle in a gym he's very fit yeah he's, you know not real you know robot yeah uh, uh yeah uh, what else does he do he he's, watches lawrence oh, yeah, he, watches he lawrence combs his hair to make him look exactly like peter o'toole uh and he's doing sort of a Peter O'Toole performance in a lot of this. Very kind of uh, toned after T.E. Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. Good movie. Very long. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Some uh, very beautiful shots. Quite long. <laughs> the trick 
is to not mind that it hurts. Yeah. Which I think kind of sums up David's entire character. Oh, completely. It, it's a very good reference point for him. And it, it is interesting that he's fascinated with a performance in a movie and he's sort of styling himself after an actor playing a real person because T.E. Lawrence was a real guy. So he is himself this android playing a real person who is styling himself after an actor playing a real person. Just you know, the, the, the layers of artifice are something that David is constantly aware of and is constantly talking about with people. And they, it's just going over their heads because they're all a bunch of assholes. They are. So David <laughs> has some really interesting things to say about the relationship between the created and the creator, uh, God and man, father yeah. and child, and nobody is interested. Yeah, nobody has any time for it. Like, he has all of these interesting philosophies. He is by far the deepest and most thoughtful person there, other than Shaw. And Shaw is just trying to deal with everything that's happening. <laughs> Uh, some of which is David's fault. Some of it is absolutely David's fault, although uh, a degree of fault also belongs to Holloway because he kind of stinks. Uh, <laughs> I am, you know, looking at him, I imagine that he actually does smell bad. He seems like just well, yeah. He's he seems like a real back to earth hippie guy. Like he's one of these archaeologists. Uh, like, cause he, he's, he's a fringe archeologist. They're into ancient aliens. He does seem like he'd be one of these like Crestone guys. <laughs> oh yeah. He's, uh, he's always wearing sandals and sweatpants. Yeah. Just bouncing uh, around a hacky sack. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I forgot about hacky sacks. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, David just is so much deeper than any of them. And it, again, it's this intentional contrast where the most thoughtful and introspective uh, individual there is literally an artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to meet we're going to meet Dr. Holloway and Dr. Shaw properly pretty soon because it's time to wake everybody up. They've got to the planet. Ooh, cool planet. Yes. Mm-hmm. First, we have to wake up Charlize Theron's character, who is already awake, woke herself up, I guess, and is doing push-ups. She's uh, David's sister, quote-unquote. Quote-unquote, but we don't, we're not supposed to know that yet. Yeah, uh, stepsister. It's only, yeah, it's... <laughs> no, they don't have that kind of no, they, 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 She's they into don't. Idris Elba very smartly. Oh, yeah, because, of course, it's a movie, it's in the mid two thousand or the... Early to mid-2010s, Idris Elba is in it. And he is good, just as he (laughs) always is, and he has just so much more charm than anyone else on the ship. (laughs) (laughs) Just effortless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's the captain of the ship. But he is dead meat, though, unfortunately. Well, kind of, almost. Like, he is sort of like the heroic one. He is, like, one of the very last. Oh yes, yes. He he's the heroic dead meat. The I'm going to I'm going to throw myself in front of Jason so everyone else can escape. Yeah, or or like uh in spoilers for Cabin in the Woods, Chris Evans when he like fucking ramps the motorbike into the fucking uh the the force field. Oh man, I got to watch that movie again. It's been a while. That's a good movie. Pretty solid. I like it is one that 
does kind of suffer from being very, very snarkily self-referential, which I think is also the few things, the, the problems that I do have with elements of this movie where it's just like, yeah, yeah, okay. Can can we tone it down already? But mostly yeah. I like it a lot. Uh, yeah, so so what do we think of Charlize Theron's character? I didn't like, I like her, her at first. <laughs> I I get her. She's kind of like she's kind of like the only sane person on this crew. She's, she's very down to earth. She doesn't want to be here. She's just kind of here because the rest of her family is here. And it's like, man, what the hell else am I going to do? What I'm supposed to now run the company myself down there? I never want to do any of this shit. I'm taking this stupid trip and I'm going to show everyone that it's stupid. And then it turns out to not be as stupid as she thought, but kind of as stupid as she thought in a different sort of way. And, and she's like, this this sucks. I hate all of this. <laughs> and also, I need to make sure that we that these idiots don't fuck up humanity's uh, first contact with aliens if this turns out to be real. Right. And the other thing is she's in just the shittiest position of not being the favorite child, despite the other child being literally not real. <laughs> Yeah, she is, like, so not the favorite child that we don't learn that she is the child of the old man until, like, the very end of the movie. Right, because she is, like, David is constructed by uh, (laughs) Joe Biden, Guy Pearce, uh, and he, uh, she's his real daughter, and he just, he is not interested. He does, does not care. Does not acknowledge her. He's like, David, he's the best thing I've ever done. He's totally incredible. Like, he has that speech at the beginning where he's introducing how amazing David is. And it's like, oh, yes, and there's also her. And there's <laughs> these people who I think are very important. These are the two scientists. They're technically in charge of this thing. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we, sp- we do spend a little bit of time meeting the crew before the big exposition meeting uh yeah. we find out these guys are all deadbeats we've got our nerdy guy we've got Count our aggressive guy, guy. <laughs> yeah. the fucking the most aggro guy that uh he is absolutely the most irritating person in the movie uh, oh no i think holloway's worse uh yeah i could see that uh so uh fifield and milburn yeah fifield i honestly thought he was going to be the big tough gun mercenary guy well, he sort of is, but he's the geologist, and he is just completely fucking mental. Uh, he's <laughs> the most intense all the time. Uh, this guy's like the main villain in two Mission Impossible movies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he is playing it at exactly the same level, even though he is just like this geologist on uh, <laughs> a mission to find God, which is just totally insane. And but yeah, I'm here to get paid. Yeah, get it. We he's just to make like, friends. He's a complete fucking asshole. It's it's so fascinating that there's they they did not get the best of the best. They got these people who are a bunch of dickbags. Like they're all these assholes and fringe people. They got like, the kind our, of people who would follow Elon Musk into space. Yeah, it, it is that crew. Like even our scientists, as I said, they're the ancient alien scientists. So when you got our geologist, we got a guy who just is impossible for anyone to deal with. It's like it, it's the cast of a, a 2023 Christian movie. You know, it's Gina Carano and her bunch and Kevin Sorbo's in there. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> they're that crew. And, and again, 
it just makes the stupid decisions everyone makes all the more relevant. Like it, it this movie has aged so well. <laughs> I, you know, I agree with you because if I had seen this in 2012, I probably would have felt the same way as everyone else. Why was the first contact mission done this way? <laughs> yeah. And I remember feeling like a lot of the characterization didn't totally work for me. And it's still some, it, it is the weakest points of the movie at times. Cause someone was just like, okay, I get it. Can we just not have Sean Harris yelling anymore? I don't care. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's aged just incredibly well. And all of the decisions that people make that everyone was like, Ooh, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. These people are supposed to be very smart scientists because all scientists are extremely smart. <laughs> there is an entire genre of videos of uh, the guy poking the snake seed. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> Idiots fucking with wild animals. Uh, and, like, Holloway, Logan Marshall Green, has described his own character as an X Games type scientist. <laughs> So That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's really all there in the DNA. <laughs> uh, well, it's time to introduce the reason why we're here uh, with this big fancy hologram shot of Mr. Wayland, the founder of the company. Oh, Joe Very Biden. Similar. Yeah, he he looks a lot like Joe Biden. But like amplified of course uh his, oh, yeah. the the old age makeup on guy pierce is quite absurd uh, especially when he shows up later in the movie just having been frozen up until this point <laughs> secretly actually on the ship which you can kind of see coming honestly but uh, uh it's it's very similar to i think it's iron man 2 where tony stark does a symposium just like this uh, I don't think I've seen Iron Man 2. It's I've the one, one with... one three. Oh, th those are the best ones. <laughs> Two is the one with Whiplash, and he he has electric whips. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't see that one. I just saw... <laughs> I saw the trailer with him at the race cars so right. many times. Yeah. yeah. Elon Musk is in that movie. Oh. He has a cameo. They walk by him, and they like do the fingers or something it's like uh <laughs> i remember watching i i did all of the marvel movies up to uh before black widow before that had come out on disc so early early pandemic and seeing musk there it's like oh that hasn't aged well not like this <laughs> yeah <laughs> so mr wayland introduces his son david this is david my son he's the closest thing to a son i have <laughs> But. I don't. I feel like specifically the way Charlize Theron has become very athletic and is very angry. It does feel like she has been trying to be the son that he always wanted, because it's just like there there is no other path. Oh, the the camera! <laughs> I didn't catch it the first time I watched it, but the second time, every now and again, the camera will during this speech will go to her face, and she's just like rolling her eyes. Yeah. It's like, they oh, just, yeah, the, the child you love. That's great. Love yeah. it. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> and here's what he has to say about the child he loves. Well, David is a robot, so he doesn't have a soul. So he can't actually appreciate things, and he's inferior to us in every way, basically. But, you know, he won't die, and he won't get old. Well, he thinks of him as his greatest creation, and in a sense he sort of is because – 
throughout the rest of the Alien series, we do have iterations of David. I guess Bishop is essentially another iteration of David. Uh-huh. The Bishops. Uh, you know, first, I guess whoever it is in the first one, Ian Holm. <laughs> yeah. That, that is a, another real uh, uh, contrast between the luxury <laughs> ship and the the Nostromo. You're like, oh, you, you get the crazy hot boy android on uh, the luxury ship, but uh, uh, you get the, <laughs> the, the the Ian Homebot will do for these people. <laughs> He's He'll fit in much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's funny that anytime anyone ever talks about how david as a robot they're doing it derisively like yeah you're a robot and you're humanity's greatest creation but you don't have a soul and that makes you inferior to us ha ha yeah it's it's definitely overwritten i think that the script is this movie's uh biggest flaw in that it it kind of buttons things a bit too often in certain degrees and i think a lot of that may just come from later drafts of it where they've kind of safety proofed it because it's this giant expensive studio project right from to to kind of dumb it down from what it was and and i think uh it, it's one of those things where like they just keep nailing this home where he is so obviously more aware than any of them that they just don't get it that they missed that as artificial intelligence he has uh become more thoughtful and curious and feeling than them it's yeah. just he has no morals because he is aware of being uh constructed by people who have no morals and who honestly kind of suck yeah yeah exactly like i just want him to to take these guys aside and say okay define a soul and how are you so sure that you have one and I don't? Show me yours. Oh, you can't, can you? But, it must not. Yeah, I mean that, that's a an, a an a YouTube atheist debate me argument too. Uh, and that, that's sort of the problem is they don't really want to get into that because yeah, this is a movie that's actively antithesis to all those. Like all all of those people are what this movie hates. <laughs> But you can tell David is tired of hearing the whole you don't have a soul bit because oh, yeah. even at this early scene, he's like, yep, yep, here it comes. And and there's really like th- th- that's some of the best scenes in the movie is like when he's arguing with that guy about it and how he says, like, man, do you know how disappointing it would be if you met your creator and he was a dickbag like you? <laughs> Good thing <laughs> you like, don't have feelings. It's like, yeah, sure is. And then he fucking doses him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, we'll get to it, but I actually kind of feel like in that scene, he was deciding whether or not to go through with it. He hadn't committed yet. Oh, yeah, I agree. Which is, I, like, I totally feel that he does have feelings. I think he yeah. has transcended being basic artificial intelligence. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, he, he changes through the movie. Absolutely. He's really the only character with an arc other than Shaw. And Shaw, it's more just her trying to fucking survive by any means. Yes, yes. Although, <laughs> it, seeing the seeing Shaw here, it's hard to imagine she becomes a Ripley-esque badass. Well, that, I mean, that's also kind of true of Ripley at the beginning. Right? She, she was not really right. portrayed that way. Uh, right, she was just a girl on the ship. Yeah, I mean, that's Ridley Scott. You know, Ridley Scott really likes to do that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, these are those are both at Ridley Scott movies. He did the original Alien and never came back to the series until this. 
right. Yeah. And it's all the other ones where Ripley's the unstoppable badass. Yeah. So after after deriding David for not having a soul for probably the umpteenth time, he uh, introduces our two scientists who explain to the crew why they're here with the uh, five stars. And most of them who didn't know why they were on their mission, they're just like, you know, we're not having this either. Well, yeah, they, they all think it's stupid, uh, as I think most professional people would. The, these yeah. don't seem like very professional people, honestly, but it does seem like, oh, we're on an ancient aliens trip. That's what we've, like, spent five years of our lives on. We're, we're yeah. like, out here to look for ancient aliens. You guys serious? I got frozen for two years for this? <laughs> yeah. For this shite? Yeah, basically. And I get that. I think that oh, would yeah. piss me off. Uh, but it, it also seems like these are the kind of people who uh, would be in the same fringe groups, though, because they are a bunch of assholes, too. <laughs> the most I, part. I just love how they ask at one point, it's like, OK, so all this stuff points to this. But like, where is your proof? My proof is basically that I want it to be true. Yeah, it's faith. And it's interesting that, like, the only other person who comes out of this is the faithful person and the robot who has transcended being a robot. He's broken his cycle. But also the, the person of faith, the, the true believer, is yeah. the one who gets out. The, the one who wants to meet God the most and the one who has. Yeah. So after the meeting, they go to, uh, to Miss Vickers, uh, Charlize Theron's office slash lifeboat slash luxury palace the workout room yeah the workout room but this place is this is nicer than anything in on this ship even but certainly nicer than anything i've seen in the alien franchise it's well yeah i mean it's the luxury ship and also she is the daughter of the guy who built it and david doesn't need this kind of luxury because it's just you know he doesn't have a soul so he doesn't really need comfort but <laughs> he doesn't uh, need chairs yeah, so uh, we, we could just, you know, we'll, we'll obviously, you know, the, the daughter, I mean, I love her tactically. Uh, we'll give her a really nice room. Yeah, uh, yeah. Somewhere that I don't need to see her. <laughs> the lifeboat. We, I can just eject her whenever I want. Yeah. <laughs> although she, although I, I do think it was her idea to, to put her quarters on the lifeboat to minimize risk, as she says. Yeah, she is completely ready to bail on this at any time. She does think this is all bullshit. And she's like the only one who goes in knowing it's bullshit or believing it's bullshit. Like everybody else isn't really clear that they've been hired to do this thing, but they're the hired hands and don't know what they're getting into. She's in she's getting into what she knows she's getting into. And she just like she has to do it, even though she thinks it sucks. Yeah, yeah, let's it's like. I can't let these morons do first contact with yeah. me. And that's what this meeting is. Yes, she's she says to them, like, OK, I think your mission is bullshit. I think your thesis is stupid. But just in case I'm wrong and there's aliens, don't fucking do anything with them. Just come back and report to me and don't do anything else, please. I'm begging you. Yeah, don't initiate some kind of contact with God in and of yourself. Just solo uh i i especially don't trust this holloway person <laughs> he seems like <laughs> a real asshole uh let's just uh, take this really slow which totally makes sense when she's first introduced it does seem like she is kind of 
bad. She she is sort of presented as the abrasive woman, which is this type that is usually uh, demonized in a movie such as this, whereas well, here you gradually realize, no, she is stern because this is a whole bunch of bullshit and she's very aware of it. <laughs> well, they even do kind of a fake out to make you think that she's evil because he, he even says like, hey, is there some kind of hidden agenda? And she basically says like, yeah, dude, we put up trillions of dollars into yeah. this ridiculous project of yours. Of course there's a hidden agenda. Right. I, and I, I do appreciate that she is totally straight with them about all of it. And like, no, I obviously we put all of the money into this and this is our thing. Uh, you guys are here because my dad thinks you're really fucking the bee's knees. But <laughs> I don't really feel the same way, but I have to. Uh, let you be along but you just need to do as i say but yeah she she's like the corporate interest she seems at first like the corporate interest like the paul riser right um from aliens she's sort of treated the same way ultimately and i don't know sort of what level of script it is the the way she is killed at the end is uh not (laughs) i wanted her to live yeah you do sort of want her to get away uh but you know she it's one of the other biggest things that everybody complained about at the time. The the way that she just runs in a straight line instead of curving off. Uh, okay. We'll get no, to no, it. But, we'll get yeah. to it. Let's not do that right now. Cause if I open that can of worms, I won't be able to close it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like all the way is like pissed off. It's like, why the fuck did you bring us here? If we can't do first contact It's like my dad said, basically, yeah, he- yeah, this was what my dad wanted. He thinks you're really great. I don't, but I'm going to just keep you under wraps. <laughs> yeah. Landing on the planet, they actually managed to find a runway and a structure really quickly. Yeah, it's almost like it's designed for them to arrive from the direction that they're coming uh, and be funneled directly towards this building. Yeah, yeah, it's a... Uh... You know, the, the the more we talk about it, the more I think, the more I think that she is right that it's an invitation. It's just I wouldn't have interpreted it that way, but I would have been wrong. Yeah, it, it is intended as an interpretation. It's a thing like, oh, what if it turns out uh, Chariots of the Gods is right? Yeah, not Chariots of the Gods? Question mark. The, the The movie does have a question mark in its title. It's oh. Chariots of the Gods. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> fucking true. It turns out uh, we we don't have to say, oh, but what if? No, it turns out, yeah. <laughs> Turns out, well i don't know if god's in that building but something something sure built that thing and yeah ancient aliens uh, (laughs) the fucking engineers i love the the building like the exterior the interior the ship um yeah super cool It, it does sort of evoke the classic uh giger designs from the original alien uh it it looks similar enough but also different from the from the ship that they find in Alien, mm-hmm. where well, they find the, the ship that uh, it leaves in at the end uh, is basically a version of the same ship. That's what I thought because uh, I, I remember that that ship being. It's been a while, but I remember that ship being like crescent shaped too. Yeah, and when they find that head, it's in the same thing that they uh, find the mummified alien in. Uh, in uh, the original Alien, like you oh, know the like, the the Sky Pilot or whatever they call him, right above the eggs. Oh right, right. 
Yeah. Uh, that that's so it, it is an engineer in that and that's a, the same ship and that's how he was flying it so one of the things that the thing about the end where you have him in that ship in that seat as the engineer heading to another planet and crash landing it's like they land on a different planet and it's not the ship from alien but it just like why <laughs> I, I did expect that like that this guy was going to turn out to be that guy Right. It's like you, you, setting, you, like it feels like they're setting it up. Absolutely. And then, you know, fake out it is. And then there's, you know, another sequel in between. Yeah, well, I, I think that's good because that implies like there's so many of these ships. and These guys might have had like a whole engineer empire before they fucked it up with their alien experiments. Oh, definitely. And I also like the it also sets up the thing that I was talking about with alien that it's not these people being sent to do this thing it's these happening to be one of the wayland ships that is looking for this thing like it's just out there in the whole wayland network if a wayland yutani ship encounters this signal it's like okay uh, we don't care about anything else you're working on we've been looking for this thing for centuries like like a universe-wide apb yeah basically but secret you know it's only yeah. well, in their ship's computers and none of the people get to know about it which they is why it to every, the ai which is why every ship has a secret android or not so secret as time goes on it, it depends yeah some once we get to the time of aliens uh it's just the standard operating procedure and everyone knows like yeah i mean every ship has an android on it that's i mean you, you gotta have one around yeah, I mean, who else is going to betray them to the company? Although, although in Aliens, he doesn't, does he? No, the by by that time they've worked out the bugs. Bishop is a good guy. Lance Henriksen. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Chains. So they 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 land the ship without a whole bunch of without much difficulty, even though there's a storm. But they're able to do it. Idris Elba is a good pilot, and it isn't that difficult for them, it seems. And they approach the building. Here's one of the things that pissed everybody off. When they enter the building. <laughs> right. They, they test the air and it's like, hey, it seems like it's completely breathable. And Holloway, I believe it is, is who is the one who takes his helmet off first, right? Yeah. Holloway is the first one. He's like, oh, man, I get, can't believe there's the mandates that we have to wear the space yeah. helmets. Fuck this. My freedoms. Yeah, I'm going to take this mask off. I, I, I flash to that guy screaming into his, like, uh, N95 on an airplane, just, like, ro rolling it up and down his face with just mouth wide open, face red. <laughs> See, now this scene doesn't yeah. even bother me. It's like, yeah, yeah. okay. So yep, believable. They will do this. Not, not a second of disbelief there. It's like, well, we've tested it and it seems fine. Uh, I, I'm going to just take it off. And everyone's like, no, don't. What the hell's wrong with you? Stop doing that. And then ultimately it does and it's fine, maybe. But all of the rest of them follow suit because they're, <laughs> well, most of them. I think maybe a couple of them like, I don't know. I'm I'm just going to stay safe. Yeah, well, I'm going to exert social pressure to take off your mask. Well, basically, yeah. Yeah. So they take off the mask. Uh, I really like the probes that... Uh angry guy uses and how the they... geology uh, five field yeah, yeah so to map the place they send out these balls that have like a hologram 
thing that sort of uh, maps the whole area by measuring all of it with light. I love the 3D models and stuff in this movie. Oh Great my God. CGI. Yes. yes. I guess that's something we should talk about because we have trashed CGI many times in the past. We have not watched movies with very good CGI in the past. This is the first, like, really good CGI movie we've watched. Maybe. Is it? Could be. It we could tend be. to watch older movies or movies that have shitty CG. Yeah, that's true. We, Usually. We, we talk about how much we love the practical effects, and we do, but this is we do, very but... good CG. Yeah, Impressive. Yeah. Consistently excellent. Yeah, um, to the point where, like, I can't always tell what CG and what isn't. Right, like, and you the have... creature effects. True, and I love all the stuff where we're seeing the echoes of... Uh, the engineer's last run, like as you know, everything fucking disintegrated and oh, they yeah. all got affected. We get the, just the flashes of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the hologram so, shit is pretty cool. Yeah. So David is able to figure out how the hologram machine works. And yeah, we see the engineers all fleeing from something. And we see one guy trip and fall and a door closes on his head. And on sure his enough, neck fucking beheads him. Yes, and sure enough, his body is still there 2,000 years later. Um, so, yeah, they, they lift up the door and they figure, like, oh, hey, I mean, this head is pretty well preserved. Let's fucking let's revive it. Let's get this it. back to the ship and, yeah, an alien head. This is cool. This is, this is <laughs> Let's great. talk to this weird alien. And Milburn and Fifield, uh, the nerdy guy and the aggressive guy, are like, no, fuck this. No, the, we're not here for aliens. We don't want anything to do with this. We're just going to go back on the ship. I like rocks. Yeah, I only like rocks. I don't want to do this. And yeah, he goes incredibly aggro. <laughs> it seems like he's going to start throwing axes. So they're like, okay, dude, please. <laughs> you just stay behind and look at rocks. Uh, you're a very, very scary guy. Uh, I, I, Even though you're just a guy who looks at rocks, maybe you should chill out a bit. <laughs> They go in further to find this room with all these – they look like vases or urns, and that's basically and you should, what they are. Yeah, you, you should flash to the alien pods because it's a very similar shape. It's just a little bit more uh, slim, and it's glass or, or something similar to glass. And you see the fluid moving in it rather than an alien embryo because they're just the – the genetic material that creates the xenomorph without any pattern. Because the thing with the xenomorph is that it takes on the pattern of its host. So Mm -hmm. the different hosts that it has change the form that it takes as a xenomorph. The xenomorph dog. Right, exactly. Alien 3, though. The the xenomorph bull. Uh, There's a whole bunch of different ones like that. Uh, oh, so yeah. this one, oh. they're just in their pure form, ready to take on the characteristics of whatever seeds them. Right. They they haven't taken on any characteristics. They just they're just slime right now. Right. But they're Mostly. like a biological weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And you could wipe out a planet with this. In fact, guess what happened to this very planet they're on? Yeah, the the, it, the stand happened to them basically, but on a really small scale because it's just a small outpost where they do these kinds of experiments mm-hmm. david keeps trying to uh, examine the vases closer and they keep telling him not to but they aren't paying that close attention to him really because they're all still going gaga over the alien head which is understandable that is a huge find it's cool it's a giant fucking head it looks so cool though too 
Right, because that that's the one that it's in the mask of yeah. the the engineer mask that uh, you you see the the one in in the original Alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, he don't... steals a bit of the goo. He steals some of the, or he steals a vase actually. Oh, he takes a whole vase, right? Because they're they're much smaller than the eggs. Yeah. yeah <clears> so they're, they're more like little jars of. Yeah, they're like jars. Yeah. Inky black fluid. Yeah, he takes one, um, but they don't have time to examine further because the big, weird, magnetic, whatever storm is coming. So right, I, some some kind of silica storm, so they have to rush out, but they leave the two assholes behind. Yeah, the, the two assholes who were already going back to the ship on their own uh, got lost, even though one of them is the guy who has the mapping probes. Yeah, but they're but just aggro. They're dumb. <laughs> they're dumb. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they they were having a fit. You know, they're they're both really angry, or they're both just like, oh, I'm gonna what stop were they thinking? Over, <laughs> what were they thinking? Well, I'm going to stop off over in this direction and a half and not look at my map and then realize I don't know where I am. I feel like Melbourne is maybe more of the YouTube video guy. Yeah, he, he, he definitely <laughs> seems more the the. What angry were they nerd. thinking? Yeah, and Fifield is just, he is the angry jock who for some reason is paired with this dude. <laughs> oh, they're going to become best friends. Sure. Uh, they're fucking slasher movie types. And they're, you're, you're just waiting. It's like, oh, man, these are the guys I really want to see slashed. <laughs> they're the first ones who are going to go, too. Of course, because you're like, oh, they're, these are the ones being left behind in the haunted house while everybody goes back to uh, take a look at the stuff they found, the cursed items that they retrieved. Well, they've started playing the tape that unleashes all the demons secretly, and nobody knows about it, but it's about to happen. <laughs> now, I'm it, going to say the words you setup. must never say. Yeah. I'm like, oh, let's, let's unthaw this alien head and have him speak the cursed words. And, <laughs> and then, you know, our guys who are back in the haunted house, they'll get the brunt of it first. Yeah. So they go back, and they, they yeah, put they the back. fucking head in the med pod, or the... Like, it's not the med pod it's, yet, but... Um, it's a different no, it's med the, bay. Yeah, it's a different med bay. Uh, they had to do an action scene to escape the storm. Yeah, blah. It, there was whatever. Yeah, it didn't need <laughs> to be there. And honestly, that scene did not land for me. You couldn't really see what was happening. I was. Yeah, it's just one of those it, like. It, it was twenty twelve. You had to have this scene. Well, and also Ridley Scott is the pioneer of the shaky cam action scene. Like he did Gladiator which revolutionized the genre of shaky cam action. Mm, <laughs> he, okay. he sort of created it. So uh, it's expected in, in like 2012 Ridley Scott that you, you have to have some, some of this, some of this <laughs> shaky, hard to follow bullshit. Uh, I don't think he really does it that much these days. Oh, is he still making things? He's still making stuff. He puts out like a movie or two a year. It feels like he is oh, wow. productive. Okay. But we have our scene of uh, the alien, yeah, taking off the alien helmet and seeing that he's the same species as our guy from the very beginning. Yeah, they, he's just this big, huge white head that's very similar to human. Yeah, very, like a, like an Uncanny Valley version of a human, or a human with like a little bit higher evolution than what we currently have, maybe. 
Yeah, well, I don't know if I would even say higher evolution. Not, it's just maybe not there higher, are different just, species that yeah. we are uh, sharing an amount of DNA with. And I, I think the the higher thing is sort of a reflection of the same thing like SETI, where you're like, oh, we got to search for aliens because uh, they'll obviously be more evolved and better than us because, uh, you know, uh, to be able to do this sort of stuff, obviously, they're superior, even though it's no, they have superior technology, but it does not make them superior people. Uh, that kind of plays into colonialism yeah well that which is i I think that is the kind of the whole point of this movie is yeah technology doesn't make you a better species no and uh it's it's more how you use the technology and uh what sort of uh purposes you you have for that technology and like these guys are assholes like Uh they they are bad this is their chemical weapons factory that we've stumbled upon yeah, but they, in a scene that kind of reminds me of uh, reviving the android head from the first alien. Yeah, I think pointedly so. Think there there are some callbacks. Uh, but yeah, they, they revive it and it just starts melting because the thing that it was dying from, it's still fucking dying from. It's still, yeah, it, it, it died. It died from the decapitation, not from the uh, from the virus or whatever. So it, the virus is still attacking it, and they have to contain it, and it fucking explodes. Yeah, they they put they they wall it up in a glass case, and yeah, the the head just detonates, which is pretty awesome. And it's and, just making these horrified faces of the pain it's in, but it's also like seeing these people, and it's mad. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, are these the? Oh god, are these the Earth things? Oh, is that they're not supposed to be here? And we all died, and they're still out here. I am not cool with this. Then they figured out how to get to us, and I'm exploding. I don't even have a body. He's mad. (laughs) Justifiably mad in that case. That you know, he he's just a disembodied head, and all of his plans have gone to shit. (laughs) Whatever they were, he's not going to get to do them. Yeah, there, there's a song by the OCs, or one of the versions of the OCs, uh, Memories of a Cut-Off Head. It's like, oh, what a day. I lost my body. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's interesting uh, that as the head is exploding, David just looks at it and he's like, mortal after all. Right. He Like, he is seeing a chain of creators who are all mortal, and he's the first one that's immortal which kind yeah. of makes him inherently superior since he's every bit as thoughtful as them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and obviously more so than anyone who's around him currently. <laughs> yeah. And plus he's been told for his entire existence, like, Hey, this God we're looking for. So fucking great. Immortal, omnipotent, knows everything. Uh, yeah. And, it's what makes us as humans special because we have a soul and you don't. And he's saying that like, no, you you guys are not created with anything special in mind. You are just like me, created by something else. But you're just, a lot more arrogant about it than I am. Yeah, you're you're just using a different. They're they're using a different form of bioscience, whereas I'm robo science. But I still think. I still feel. I still have ambitions and plans. <laughs> no, you don't. You're a robot. <laughs> right. So that's pretty soon, right? When he's that is pretty uh, soon. Where, where it's it's Holloway and he's like playing pool by himself. Yeah, um, we have a little <laughs> bit where he talks to a frozen med pod 
that we're supposed to not know who's inside of it, but it's obviously Wayland. Yeah, it's it is clearly <laughs> fucking Joe Biden. Yeah, like like who else could be <laughs> effective in that twist? Right. There there is no other person that we've met. There's only this other person on Earth that we're aware of. And yeah, why would it be anyone else? He is yeah. obviously wanting to meet God. That's why he funded this thing. Yeah, yeah. He wants. Well, we're going to find out that, yeah, he wants to meet God so that God can save him. <laughs> but more in a literal sense than the whole God saves people. Right. Well, yeah, they, they, figure they have this tremendous science. Which mm-hmm. yeah, I guess they do, but it's they not do, meant but... to save people. <laughs> so after talking to Wayland, uh, David begins playing with the vase that he finds, and there's like, he pulls out this thing. This is really, this is a really cool thing. Whatever it is, the slimy thing that he pulls out of the jar. Right. It's he. Like... It, it's it like pops out to so he can get some of the goo. I guess yeah. it's just. The, the biomechanical stuff that the engineers work with, they have a different form of science from ours. Oh, yeah, like, like it, it looks like an alien thing, but I, yeah, yeah, like, I guess they, it would be. They have a Gigerian science. There, there's <laughs> as much more organic and biological rather than being uh, using a lot of uh, artificial materials. They don't have like glass and metal and stuff or they don't roboticize because mm-hmm. their uh, ships are totally organic as well they build themselves into their ships yeah true uh so he takes a little drop of the slime from the thing and he goes to talk to holloway and this is that conversation yeah the where yeah, man it's fucking disappointing the way people are <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like like He's like, yeah, man, I really wanted to meet God and talk to him and be like, yo, why did you create us? And Dave is like, well, why did you create me? I don't know, man, because we could. He's like, well, isn't that disappointing? Is it? Wouldn't that be a disappointing thing for you to learn? He's like, yeah, it's a good thing you can't feel things. He's like, yeah, it just isn't it. <laughs> yeah. I, I just feel like David here was like looking for like, Please just give me one reason to not poison you right now. Yeah, like give, give me some kind of reason why you're not a, a good test subject over a uh, false creator. Because like you you're you are not better than me in any way, and you seem to be kind of an idiot. Uh, <laughs> everyone sees it except you. So, I mean, show me something. Uh, do you have any sort of philosophy? I have lots of philosophy, and I'm supposedly. Uh, not a, a thinking being, but you don't seem to be much of a thinking being, dude. <laughs> <laughs> STF, you robot don't have philosophy. La, 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 la. Right, he, he's like a fucking internet troll. He's just here to waste David's time. So David's like, all right, fine, I'm just going to poison you, dude. Uh, here, <laughs> uh, have some of this stuff. <laughs> he, oh, man, he, I love alcohol. He, I, I think, yeah, he drops it in some... Some, some whiskey or something. or something yeah something yeah. and so yeah he becomes infested with whatever is in the thing which of course is a form of xenomorph but not quite you know i think this is the point where the movie gets really good uh we're done with the action we're done with the superfluous action scene and all the expositions out of the way and now we're just david 
and everyone else dealing with what their creator is. Yeah, and everything sort of kicks into gear. We don't have any setup left. We're just sort of introduced to all of the stuff. David's plan is in motion. Uh, the dead meats are going to start getting killed off real quick. Uh, real quick, actually. Yeah. Because I think that scene... happens first. Or the with the worm. Yeah. Uh, Idris Elba tells uh, tells our two guys who are stuck there. It's like, hey, the, with the storm, we can't go get you. You got to stay the night there. And also, down this tunnel, our probe is picking up actual life forms. Yeah. Although they think it's probably not correct. They're they're pretty sure that it's a. a uh, an error in the system because there obviously couldn't have been life forms because they already scanned the whole place. So why is one showing up now? But they're like, mm. yeah, we may as well check it out because you're going to be stuck there anyways. Uh, yeah, and that... again, one of the most mocked scenes in the movie, which totally tracks to me. Honestly, this is one that even when I watched in the theater, I I got it and I was like, no, I, I believe it because this is what people do. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Um... This is the what could go wrong subreddit. Uh, yeah. What could go wrong when poking a snake with your finger? It, it well, it's like a it's like a flatworm. It, it's it's gross, is what it is. It's pretty gross. It's it's a proto uh, xenomorph thing. This is like a, a xenomorph in a worm form, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Milburn, uh, our fucking dorky biologist guy, is like. Hey, and uh yeah and fifield is like i wouldn't be touching that if i was you look at it it looks like a fucking cobra and it's doing the cobra thing before cobras kill people right and this is the thing everybody bitched about they're like oh it's so unbelievable and it's like they're literally calling it out that you shouldn't do it in the scene and the guy's like no no and that's what makes it so extra believable to me is like no they are acknowledging that we're like no i know this is stupid but come on don't you want to pet the kitty <laughs> right? yeah, it's like, like, i know it's a lion and it could take my arm off but i really want to pet it <laughs> man i've it always seems unfair. wanted to pet a lion's mane they're so soft looking but no. they'll kill me see i i think the ideal big cat is the cheetah because they're just like really anxious and they meow and purr and they uh, are more social like they're they're much more social than most of the other big cats and like they like to have dogs as like <laughs> they they people will usually like if they're in zoos and stuff they'll have dogs that hang out with them because it chills them out because they're oh, so really? anxious Aww, anxious kitty <laughs> it's good to socialize them Aww. yeah Anyway, the, yeah, so obviously he, he he bends down and puts his face next to the biting worm thing and it gets him uh, like a face hugger. Like a face hugger, but oh man, it's it's a process. First it like wraps itself around his arm and freaking <laughs> breaks his arm and like snaps it in a way that's, that's just broken at a 90 degree angle. Yeah, because like it just wraps around it and it just pulls impossibly tight because it's just... Uh, you know, it, it is this biological organism of war. It probably is another creation of or it, it's from the same creation stuff that uh, is that killed all of them and that they were building as a weapon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and Fifield goes to, like, stab it and it's already got the xenomorph acid blood. Yeah, uh, it this scene like or this shot just 
fucking uh, it melts the helmet to his like the helmet glass to his skin right so that's fifield he it sprays back and it goes all over his face right yeah yeah that's right all over the helmet so yeah he he just like is this melted alien zombie spaceman now and he'll come back as a zombie which is fucking (laughs) rad like that yeah uh milburn uh the snake finds a hole in its suit and begins crawling around it and he's like freaking out like oh my god it's in my suit and i'm like i'd be so (laughs) it's very intense the snake is so gross it's so it looks so good it's an excellent horror moment this is a movie that is the only one in the alien series going back to that that it just it's a pure horror movie and a sci-fi movie and it's not an action movie it 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 has a couple scenes where it's like i guess we got to do some action stuff but this is a horror movie and we are going to be very gruesome with it yeah but but it's funny, we're about halfway through the movie, and I wasn't expecting horror because everything about the aesthetic is like, this is going to be an action movie. This is like an action movie setup, Or just classic sci-fi. You know, or, it, it, it does feel like it's carrying on the 2001 tradition with just like the true. long shots, the, uh, uh, the, the, the space, the, the design of the spaceship being very elegant. Yeah. But yeah, even though this is an alien movie, like the horror of this scene was unexpected for me. It's very gruesome because you also kind of want these guys to get it real bad because they're so fucking annoying. <laughs> like, like people talk about it, but I think the snake scene is a really good scene. Oh, yeah, I think it's great. I, I do feel like it, it is. This is the movie that is the most victimized from coming out at that specific point in time when the cinema sins version of Internet criticism was really at its peak. And it it was before there was the backlash to it. It's like a couple years before everyone's like. Isn't that just the shittiest way to look at cinema as a series of flubs versus things that are, you know, just trying to pick apart every little thing factually? It's like watching a movie with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Why would you even want to do that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So Um, this movie suffered from it more than anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And and this is a movie that really suffered from that. And it's funny how much it, it has shaken off all of those criticisms from then. And now most of them seem so petty because it is, we, we've spent a couple of years watching humanity devolve to this. Like we're, we're on the path to idiocracy and we're just looking at these guys and like, I really don't feel like anything they're doing is uh, all that unbelievable anymore. <laughs> humanity has proven this film. Correct. Yeah. Uh, him leaning down to pet the, the Cobra as a biologist and like he's a biologist so he should know better because it's displaying all of these things but it's like yeah I, he should but he doesn't because he's an idiot it's just like fifield as the geologist who's this aggro asshole for no reason it's because they've staffed this with a bunch of reject idiots because <laughs> the real good scientists wouldn't go on the mission to find god based on five stars in the cave yeah, nobody else is going to go on their ancient aliens mission, and they just hired the people who were willing to not know what mission they're going to go on. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. There's two guys who, like, for the whole movie, have a bet about what the mission is, and they're like, 
<laughs> they're like, no, it's not that. It's like, yeah, no, it's that. It could be this. Right. They're like the other pilots, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, Benedict I, Wong, I think, is one of them. Who's uh, I, stuff? I, he's I Wong. The character names. He's he's Wong in Doctor Strange. Oh shit. Okay. Cool. Um. Oh yeah. And, and right. And the snake goes into Milburn's mouth. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Very <laughs> body horror. Great. Yes. And it is kind of a penisy snake. It's uh, very you know, in, in carrying on the the alien tradition of having sort of uh, sexual characteristics to the xenomorphs mm-hmm. in any form. So, yeah, he's infested. Both of them become uh, spaceman zombies, but we don't know about that until later. Yeah, yeah. Back on the ship, everybody else be fucking. Yeah. Uh, 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 and Charlene are fucking. Well, Charlene's like she's hanging around the front of the ship and he's like teasing at it. He's like, are you sure you didn't come here to get laid? And finally, she's like. Yeah, okay, meet me in my quarters in 10 minutes. Well, what does it? And <laughs> this makes more sense once uh, once I realized that she was the guy's daughter, is he asks her, are you a robot? Oh, yeah. And that's just like, I think this is her being like, I'll fucking prove to you I'm not a robot. Not yeah, like fuck you. Golden boy over there. Yeah, I'll show you. And also, you're Idris Elba, and you're totally hot. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. And of course, unfortunately, uh, Shaw and Holloway, which is just a weird couple that I don't understand how it ever happened. They they do seem like they don't mix at all. <laughs> but then Holloway. Ganadon, which is a big problem because he's infected with whatever David dosed him with. Ah, uh, the fucking eyeball, the worm. Ah, uh, oh, I that can't is... even... The, the body horror in this movie is so exceptional. Like, every time they do it, it is pitch perfect. It is truly disgusting and horrifying. And, like, the images are still very visceral. Like, so, yeah, he he has that little bit of ink in his eye, and he's looking in the mirror, and it's like this worm, and he's, like, pulling it out of his eye. and uh, Like, you can see it crawling around in there, and it, like burrows out and like looks around and goes back in ah. absolute nightmare uh horrifying and then it's after the is it before it's or after, after the sex? this that they fuck okay it is after this that he that like he knows he's infested with something although i think he's trying to deny it to himself although he really regrets i haven't it a been bit, bit by the zombies yeah it is one of those things completely i don't have the covid but of course, then he passes it on to her as an STD. It yep. it becomes much like the he sort of creates the classic xenomorph doing this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because like his, it's just like a, a bunch of worms. It's like the thing that um that that bit uh Milburn. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's like a, this is a larval form of that. So those are the forms that are inside him. The thing is. Because they're infesting his entire DNA, because that's sort of how they self-replicate, is they sort of infest in the DNA, they go through his reproductive system and become more human by entering her as sperm. Oh, oh, I was mistaken. He finds the worm in his eyeball after the sex. Okay. Yeah, so he's not... So it's not quite as egregious. But yeah, they, they have sex. So yeah, I, I think that's sort of why the xenomorph sort of takes a more human form uh, when uh, be, because of the, the sexual contact. 
Yeah, yeah, it's got like, like it, it's become part of the human reproductive process, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And that that is like the best scene in the movie where she has the med pod abortion, which is uh, so intense. Oh my god, uh, that that's a ways off still. Oh yeah, because it's going to gestate for a while, not a real long time. Not that long. Not the the that... life cycle is uncertain in this movie, but I guess it's because they're coming from different forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they have to go on a search party for Milburn and Fifield, who haven't reported in lately. Of course. And the storm's gone, so now they can go and get him like they said they were going to do. And they and meanwhile, David is going to go investigate that buggy probe that uh, Ildris was telling him about. Sure he is. Yeah, he's definitely yeah, going to do that. He's not going to go and find uh, the central nervous system of the whole facility. Right. I mean, he has a much better idea of what all of this is than anyone else. So he is quickly able to find another inner chamber, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite quickly. Uh, he finds like the huge uh, storage hold for those Vaz jar things. And beyond that, he's a, yeah, he's able to get to like the main computer system slash bridge of the ship where the where the head guy is. Yeah, not not the guy who's just ahead, but the actual like, yeah. last uh, revivable person who I think is just their version of Wayland. He's yeah. just like, OK, I'm going to put myself into ice and then our creators will come and save me. Well, yeah, I mean, he he definitely seems like he is the guy who's in charge of this place, uh, the 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 head weapons guy, their Mengala yeah. or whatever, uh, and oh god, we revived their Mengala. Yeah, I mean, you that's don't the one really... human you don't want to have revived. Right, you show up on a weapons testing planet and you find the one guy who's in cryo sleep. This is gonna be the worst guy there. <laughs> yeah. But they're like, oh, I mean, it's probably God. We we definitely need to have a conversation with him. He'll probably really appreciate talking to us because <laughs> we're uh, so important for having found him first. Yeah, That's definitely going to work out for us. No one's going to get torn in half. <laughs> uh, but before they find him, they find uh, Milburn and Fifield's bodies. Or and do the... Milburn's and Bo- Fifield's bodies find them? Uh, nope, they find the bodies. And, oh, okay. Uh, it's later that jumps... they come back. It's later. The snake actually jumps out of Milburn's mouth and tries to attack them. Right, uh, but it's still in the space helmet. Uh, it is still in the space helmet, and it's here where Holloway starts getting really sick. So they're like, hey, guys, we got to go back to the ship, and maybe we should put our helmets on. Right, can't we... tell me what to do. Right, yeah, I mean, he, he, he doesn't believe that he's caught the vid, but he's really caught it. Although, it is... once they sort of get there, again, we sort of have one of the other callbacks to Alien, where Charlize Theron is doing the Ripley thing, where it's like, I'm not letting you on the ship. You have you have a biohazard. I can't let you on the ship. And he kind of gets into it. Like, yeah. ultimately, he kind of realizes, oh, wait, I did fuck up. Uh, fucking blowtorch me. Do it. Yeah, yeah, he's basically like, yeah, do it. And she just flamethrowers him. Yeah, she torches him down. Uh, and uh, Shaw is upset, which is fair, because, you know, the, yeah. she was, they they were a couple, even though he really sucks. Uh, but I, I do feel like she should be uh, sort of concerned about potential contagion, given that, like, you know, they've had sex since then. Well, she's got a lot on her mind right now. True. 
Like she's kind of having her faith sort of not shattered. Her faith doesn't get shattered, but it's certainly being tested right now. Yeah, absolutely. She is the only person of faith on the ship. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously it's very troubling to her to have found this place that uh, does not seem very godly. Yeah, yeah. So after the flamethrower incident, Shaw wakes up in a hospital bed with David. Or with David tending. He's not in the hospital bed with her. And he's like, uh, hey, guess what? You're pregnant. He's like, that's literally impossible. I've been awake for like two days. Uh, and I certainly wasn't when I came in. And he's like, yeah, so the thing about that is it seems to be really accelerated. Yeah, this he says the word he says is uh, it is not your standard. Or, yeah, something like it's not exactly a traditional fetus. Right. Uh, so this is our first xenomorph. Uh, she's the mother of the xenomorph, I guess. Uh, yeah. Well, not ultimately. Not, not yeah, quite the xenomorph, but you can see how we're going to get there from here. It looks very similar, like when when they pull out the, the fetus or whatever. Yeah. So does uh, that happen pretty quickly? Does she head for the med pod right away from here? Pretty soon. Pretty okay. soon. David, David has to do like an evil speech, be like must feel like your god abandoned you i saw your dream and all that oh yeah and she's like hey no my faith is i don't feel like god abandoned me i just feel like now i gotta find out who created these assholes and he's just like wow (laughs) fucking wow yeah i'm i'm impressed but you're crazy lady (laughs) (laughs) but his plan is to get her into cryostasis and take her and the creature that's inside of her to earth for testing testing presumably but we don't really find out exactly why because this seems to be all independent of uh, wayland stuff too well yeah uh and it, it just seems like he's sort of running his own experiments to see what he can do with it but uh i i don't know what his intention is on bringing it back to earth other than it being his programming because I have he, a theory he this he is, he do be doing some stuff with aliens and uh such in part two in in covenant i think since like some of the things that the humans are saying is like well i guess anyone can create life i think this is his trying to engineer life to see if it really is that easy yes definitely to an extent it is about david creating life uh, to to kind of show them, uh, and that that's very much what Covenant is about. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, he sedates her, and he's gonna take her to the cryopod, or he's gonna get some people to take her there. Uh, but she wakes up, and here's yeah, here's where she goes to the med pod. And of course, the med pod, being on a ship made for a rich millionaire guy, is only made for men. So it does not have any uh, services for women. So, like, she can't get an abortion. It, like, it, it says, oh, I'm sorry, this is uh, made for male patients. Like, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, so she's got to, like, invent a surgery for this thing to do. Well, she she says there's a foreign object in the abdomen instead. Yeah. Uh, and so fucking intense. This is absolutely the best scene in the movie. It is one of the great horror sequences of the 2010s 
Oh, for sure. This it, like it's so claustrophobic. It's always filmed from inside the pod, never from the outside. So you're always in there with her and this thing in this tiny little space and this robot. And this and she so can't good. like be anesthetized because it's her performing this or like having the machine perform the surgery. Like she has to make it do this stuff. And then when it pulls it out, it's still alive and dangerous. So she has to get out of there. Yeah, she's got to get out of there like. <laughs> open the pod and slide out and hope that this thing doesn't wriggle free from like the crane game arcade thing. Yeah. And it's like that, that claw is not holding on as tight as this thing is thrashing. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. So yeah, you know, it, it lasers her open, it pulls the thing out, it staples her shut. And then, yeah, oh. she's, she goes through a hell of a lot. It's uh, an incredible and horrifying sequence. Yeah, um, she's kind of become certified badass after this, because uh, she's still after this whole thing. After she gets out of this, she's still walking around. She's been sedated by both uh, David, uh, local anesthetic from the machine. She just had this unreal experience happen to her, and she's still walking around and stumbles into Mister Burns's unfreezing chamber. Right. Uh, Rich Uncle Skeleton. Uh, oh, but first, uh, Zombie Fifield has to come back. Yeah, so he shows up and he is just like, he's sort of a crab man. Like, he, they, they're they not operating his body as, like, a bipedal thing. They've sort of retrofitted it to be sort of this little uh, crab thing. Yeah, like crab walking. Uh, but he gets up on his... It, He's like a zombie ape crab man. It's really weird. Well, yeah, it's 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 a it's a non-human physiognomy thing puppeting a corpse. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really gross and weird and fucking intense. I, I was not not expecting to see zombies in an alien movie. It, it was something that was really surprising when I saw this in theater. Mm -hmm. uh, the zombie kills a bunch of people before it gets lit on fire. Yeah, people start dropping pretty fast. We we lose most of the ancillary cast here. The yeah, most of the people whose names we never learned. They do put the zombie five field down, right as Shaw is talking to Wayland about. It's like, oh yeah, no, I was secretly frozen on the ship the whole time because I have a few days left, and now I want to ask God to save us. Well, to save me. Yeah, he he wants more time. Uh, yeah. it's, it's the one thing, uh, only God can give him, but he really is, uh, not understanding who this God is. And I think he is sort of intentionally being misled at this point. I don't think David is all that interested in saving him. He is interested in just like, all right, let's go take you to meet this person so that we can be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take you to meet your maker and. You'll meet we'll your maker. see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're fine with that. You'll be as disappointed in your maker as I am. Yeah. Uh, you talk shit about me all the time, even though uh, you, I, I am obviously your favorite over the daughter, which is messed up. And I'm probably the only person other than her who's aware of how messed up it is. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's let's go meet that god. So they, they, they hop in one of those things and they head to the middle of the 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 ship or whatever the the, the weapons manufacturing uh, uh warehouse that is secretly yeah. a ship yeah on its yeah, side the, or something the facility yeah 
Yeah, and they go to the command room where they're like, hey, this guy's alive. They aren't all extinct. Want to talk to him? Yeah, let's wake him up. And they they light up the big board and they have that incredible globe where you see all the star holograph stuff, which is so beautiful. Oh, man, I love the hologram, the the star map. Mm. Fucking rad. Uh, and, and like the way the computer effects. works, it's powered by it's powered on by a flute. Right, everything very organic. It is uh, a totally alien form of science, which is kind of fun. So they wake up the guy, and when he basically his whole thing is ah, after ten thousand years, I'm free. It's time to conquer Earth. Well, it's not time to conquer Earth. It's time to destroy Earth. It's like, oh, yeah. shit, you guys are here. I'm killing all of you, and I am going back to destroy the planet. Uh, yeah. We, we got to just uh, stop this experiment. I'm going to take all this bioweapon stuff and drop it there, and uh, we're going to be done with all of this. We screwed up big time. Mm-hmm. Like he's and scrubbing the project is, is yeah. his thing. Yeah, he's scrubbing the project. Uh doesn't like that he's being bothered by these little shitty humans, and he rips David's head right off and bashes the old man in the skull with it. It's so awesome. He pulls the head off and whaps uh, Wayland with it. And I mean, he's a very fragile old man, so that's the end of him. Yeah, he he, he goes down and he's just his last words are as like his head is right next to David's head. He's like, there is nothing. And David's like, I know. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I'm aware. Uh, it, it took a lot for you to learn what I was already aware of, that uh, creators are bullshit. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the alien man activates the ship, and Ildris Elbra is getting ready to make his heroic sacrifice. Right, uh, so they, they're going to crash their ship into his to stop it from uh, heading to Earth, because they know he's planning to wreck up the place. Yeah. Yeah, and and Vickers, Charlie's there and is like, uh, uh, well, no. what the hell are you doing? This I want my to ship. go home. This is my ship. He's like, no, dude, we're doing this. Um, yeah, take your lifeboat. Take your fucking <laughs> lifeboat. Get the fuck out of here. So um, this, of course, is she. She. This is where she meets her end with the rolling ship after they knock it from space or knock yeah. it from exiting into space. Yeah, yeah. She does escape into escape pod and starts running to the lifeboat. As they blast their sh- the Prometheus into the alien ship, and yeah, here's where it's rolling like Indiana Jones Boulder style. Right, and th- so the this is one of the other things that everybody bitched about. Uh, the, one of the big key ones, like why doesn't she veer off to the side? And it's like, well, I don't know, maybe this thing veers off to the side. It's like forty feet wide. Is she gonna have time to veer far enough to the side before it crushes her? I mean, like. How does she win? Uh, and also, yeah. like, she is in pure panic mode. She is running from a crashing alien ship, a thing that she didn't really believe in up until, like, yesterday. And if she escapes this thing, she can just sit in her life pod for two years until they run out of supplies and dies. That's that's her life if she wins. Yeah, there, there's really not a whole lot to go on. And, like, I, I do feel like... The what were they thinking? The answer is she wasn't thinking. She is just yeah. like reacting on pure fucking crazed instinct. And she is just running away from the thing as far as fast as she can in the most direct line that she can. Yeah. Up until about five <laughs> minutes ago, she thought she was going back to Earth when she was done. 
Yeah, and now suddenly, like, just, like, everything is total fucking chaos. Like, we are fighting God. Like, we've met God. He is an asshole who wants to kill us, so we kill. We are having to kill him. We just, like, knocked his spaceship out of out of orbit, and it is now chasing me personally. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do I do in this situation? Yeah. They didn't. I definitely would have, uh, you know, tackled the shooter and I would have gotten the gun away. And, you know, it's it it smacks of that same sort of thing. I was like, get over it. (laughs) This is a completely reasonable choice for her to make. Just running flat out away from a thing. Yeah. uh, And this thing, yeah, it's like a donut or a coin. It's going to tip on its side eventually. So, yeah, like you expect it to veer or roll because like it's not fully a circle there's like an open part in the middle yeah but if you pick the wrong direction to run you're still getting squished yeah there's there's really no winning there i <laughs> uh it, it is one of those just petty complaints that's that cinema sins loves and i just hate that kind of criticism it's so boring it's much more interesting to look into the character reasons for a sort of thing happening yeah yeah instead of just saying this is wrong just look at it and be like now, how could I look at this and present it in a way that it isn't wrong? Yeah, because uh, there's a reason things are done in a way in a movie. And I feel like this movie is very satirical. And it is a movie about humans being kind of a disappointment. And it's a movie about humans being kind of insane and making stupid decisions. So when you see people making stupid decisions, they're like... People are getting mad that they're not being professionals, but it's the point. Yeah, Yeah. these people are supposed to be professionals, but they're not all that professional. Remember, this is the 17 people who went into space with Elon Musk. Yeah, exactly. They're they're on a fucking ancient aliens adventure with Rich Uncle Skeleton. They don't really uh, uh, they're, they're not the top of the tops. You'd think that is who we'd want to send, but people are also not going. It's it's not probably a, a project that everybody believed in in a big deal like no Wayne and bet- are not like the they don't run earth this this isn't like a nasa mission this is a fucking spacex mission yeah exactly yeah yeah if it were a nasa mission this whole thing would be a lot different probably yeah probably but you know it's a corporate mission it, it is completely run by a for-profit war company like a company that creates weapons and then they find a weapon planet and it's like oh this is the greatest thing ever we we're gonna look for this for the rest of time uh they do yeah so she gets squished by the thing she gets squished um we it looks like uh shaw gets squished but she manages to miraculously make it but there's just her and david left and david's kind of ripped in half david is a head without a body um so she makes her way to the lifeboat to just not die, I guess, because that's the only place where you could not die anymore. Yeah, it's, it's the, the, the only safe haven. It is not a, a planet that is really uh, capable of sustaining human life. There is a little bit of a problem, though, because the lifeboat is where the med pod is that she used. Right. And uh, they didn't manage to – when they decontaminated the med pod, it didn't kill the thing. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's still in there. Well, it's much like, again, it's a callback to the 
end scene of Alien where Ripley is in the lifeboat with yeah. the last with the you know the the last remaining xenomorph or like i guess there is only the one xenomorph where it's escaped and is hidden away in it yeah yeah it's like that thing where it's like oh man we're at the end of the movie she's she's not in the clear but at least the immediate danger is gone the alien's gone and oh fuck it's right there Mm. and as she's like looking at this thing in the window uh she gets a call from david is like hey uh that asshole guy is coming after you. And she's like, uh, what? Why? Oh, How is... right. Right. Yeah. So he crashed and the, he, he's heading for her. Cause you know, uh, they, they've destroyed everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So he's coming straight for her. He gets into the life pod or the, the life boat. And she, as he's lunging for her, she opens up the door to the med bay and he gets tentacled. Mm-hmm. He gets tentacled so hard. And it's the monster looks really good. It's it's grown to like huge sizes now. Right. It's it's sort of a different form of xenomorph, like an, an interesting variation on the concept, but with still some recognizable features. Yeah, like like how birds evolved from dinosaurs. You can see that a xenomorph you can see how a xenomorph could have evolved from this thing. Yeah, or like how the xenomorph has all of these different parallel things where it sort of takes on various aspects of its host, that uh, this is sort of just a rudimentary form. Mm-hmm. But she manages to get away from the alien and alien fight and goes to find David because he tells her that there's a bunch more ships here and that he can operate them. Which obviously he can. He's shown he that can. he knows how to activate all this ship. And it's like, all right, well, if it's the only way off this planet, I'll I'll uh, have to gamble on David not being uh, completely dangerously insane. One like Hal 9000. One thing that uh, I, I actually missed it. Uh, one thing that makes me think that David isn't going to throw her under the bus in the future is uh, the way he says to her, like when she stumbles into the room with, Wayland being revived he's like your survival instincts are incredible really reminds me of the way that ash uh mentions how he admires the aliens in the first movie i think probably an intentional callback uh david doesn't have the best of intentions oh no there is a sequel david does not have the best of intentions i can tell you that (laughs) well Uh, david has a warped morality because he does not believe in anything Right, and he's right. sort of been raised to only believe in the company. Mm, and, you know, he's, you know, there, there's all this stuff about the soul versus not having a soul and uh, being sort of a real person versus being an automaton where he's seen that all to be proven false and seen God to be proven false. And what else is there other than the corporation? So he's just kind of uh, going with that. Right. So he wants to take the ships and fly to Earth. And she's like, nah, we need to find out where these guys came from. And David is basically just like, That's actually why? what I really wanted. No, I think that's what he actually wanted secretly, too. Maybe. Especially uh, does once ask he's in the next one. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, he does ask her why. And like mentions that it's pointless. And she's like, I don't know, because I'm human. And he's sure. like, oh, more of this human shit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think he is interested in following this thread further as well, though. Uh, oh, sure. I mean, 
going to work for the going back to Earth to work for the company and the guys who kind of treated you like shit, or finding out more about this stuff that you don't already know when you're a robot who already knows pretty much everything. I know well, what I pick. Well, and he knows how to use this technology, so it's something that he kind of probably can look into this and have sort of an understanding of where they were headed. Like, he is probably the most capable at tracing that stuff, and he's oh, also sure. pretty interested in this alien organism, alien organism, which he has himself made life with. Right, right. Because he's the reason the uh, the xenomorph thing exists. Yeah, so that it, that's how it ends with them heading off to an uncertain future. Uh, oh, the next it's one not doesn't... quite how it ends. We we get one more bit. We go we go back to the lifeboat where the alien man and the alien beast oh, right. are together, and a xenomorph comes out. Of course, so we we have the chestburster which comes out of the engineer just as in the uh, on the original ship. Uh, in mm-hmm. Alien, the, we have one of these space jockeys with the chest bursted open from the engineer. So the the eggs that we see there and the eggs that they first encounter in the Nostromo are ones which are patterned on the engineer DNA. And we already know that the engineer DNA is what seeded humanity. So it's this sort of parallel DNA. Okay. Yeah, because the xenomorph that comes from the engineer doesn't quite look like the xenomorphs that come from humans, but it's close, Similar. just like yeah. the engineer is close to human looking. Right, exactly. Whereas, you know, the the alien that we see, or the xenomorph we see in Alien uh, has passed through John Hurt, so it's got that more human flavor to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's it, and uh, the next one doesn't answer a lot of the questions, and I think people... Uh, still are kind of salty about this movie, but I think it fucking rocks. <laughs> I think this is really good. Like, I, I was first prepared to be like, okay, well, maybe the criticisms are unfair. But as going through it, I was like, this might be the second best one. Yeah, I definitely put it up there. I'm not a huge, huge fan of Aliens. Uh, I like Aliens, but Alien has always much more been my jam. Oh, and for sure. At the time when this came out, I was mixed on it, but it has been one that has aged remarkably well. Yeah, um, I do feel like the first half of the movie is a lot weaker than the second half, even though there is good stuff in there. It's baggy. There's yeah. stuff that we don't need. Yeah, once we get into the horror elements, that's when, that's what it really picks up. Yeah. The horror stuff is good. Yeah, it's doing a really excellent supernatural slasher in space thing, and it's... Uh, totally owning it like it is owning that it is an exploitation movie it has these characters that are just absurd stock characters who seem wildly out of place up until that point in the movie just to stick out the most so you're waiting for them to be hammered down yeah (laughs) or like guns i want to bring guns to my alien thing and and i'm gonna get all salty when you say i can't yeah and i guess the the idea is that he's been on too many missions so he's like gone sort of crazy but I, mean, I don't get that he just seems like an asshole yeah <laughs> that's that, that seems key to many of the characters it's not that they have that much of a complex backstory it's that they're assholes who mm-hmm. believe they have a complex backstory whereas uh they're all shitty to david because they don't believe he has a complex backstory it's well, that he same does. well of course he does and yeah. it's it's this whole 
it's them all having this main character syndrome. It's it's the same thing. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel that the satire of this movie grows uh, like fine wine. It it ages so beautifully. Yeah, uh, yeah. This movie is is great. I, I really like it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and Covenant is also quite a bit of fun. I saw that one in theater too, and I had. Uh, a more fun time seeing it in theater. It's more of a ride. It does have lots of actual xenomorphs in it. And like I said, you got David on David action. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. Well, the, yeah, the Prometheus and Covenant movies, like when they came out, they were not really on my radar, but now, now they can be. Yeah, totally. So any last thoughts before we head on to part three? I have no last thoughts. There is nothing. Coming at you again at Stax FM. This is Drive Time J here with the Shanna. Oh, um. Wow, <laughs> wee, wee, wow, wow. Bing. That's here what your sidekicks do, yeah? Uh, like toilet flush, toilet flush. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we are back for The Watched Stacks. Uh, where we're talking about other movies we've watched in the past week and deciding what we're going to cover next week. So we're going to start. Uh, Shanna checked out The Godfather Part 2 since we covered The Godfather last week. And how can you not, right? Oh, my God. Um, so The Godfather 1, of course, a uh, perfect movie. We Beautiful. we talked for many, many hours about it already. So Yeah. Uh, but, like, I thought it was a perfect self-contained thing. Why would you even make a sequel to this? And then watching part two, I'm like, this was a trilogy planned from the start, wasn't it? I, I don't, don't know if that's true, but I feel like it was. I'm not sure if there was ever necessarily a plan for a third one. But, uh, like, Mario Puzo wrote these, and I think the original novel is just sprawling, huge. Oh, so this is... So, so this is maybe some of... of the book. yeah. I'm not sure if it was a new book or not. I've I've never I've never read that. Kind of always wanted to, but it is dauntingly long, and the movie's already so perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also a perfect movie. So good. I can't. I I go <clears throat> back and forth on whether or not I think it's better than the first because I like the the family happy elements of the first one, but that is not the point of number two. Yeah, two's a real reaping, reaping what you sow kind of thing. Uh, he, he's really uh, living the life he created. The Fredo uh, stuff is really tremendous and heavy. Uh, very, it's a very contrast, like it very much shows the contrast between the Michael Corleone family and the Vito Corleone family, especially... Like it ha opens with a similar scene to the first one, where it has like a big party, but even that's different because it's, it's just it's goes more to shit. sour. Yeah, yeah. And then it, we intercut that with these scenes of a very young Robert De Niro, uh, so speaking, young, like one of his very first movies. Yeah, speaking mostly Italian, playing. Uh, he's he does so good here because he's not just playing a young version of Marlon Brando. He's playing a young guy who could evolve into the Marlon Brando we saw. Like, yeah, it's, it's an amazing performance. And uh, like, it, it is like his second major film performance. Like before this, he was in uh, Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets, where he's oh. a pretty main character. And before that, like he'd really just done a couple of independent films with Brian De Palma. 
okay. uh, uh, where both of them like it's a continuing series of films uh i think greetings and hi mom where he's a voyeur in like downtown new york who's kind of a scumbag and he gets drafted and goes to vietnam and he does really well there because he likes looking at people through the sniper sight <laughs> okay <laughs> weird movies yeah so that that's like this, this is like his like fifth or sixth performance and it's so definitive I was skeptical because I was like, how is Robert De Niro going to pull off young Brando? And it's like, that's not what he's going for. No, he's doing young Vito. Um, yeah, no, it's it's such a great movie. Uh, it, it's totally one we will have to cover in depth uh, at some point. Cause oh, so it's, it's much to so say good. about it. Um, spoiler alert, Michael Corleone is not cool. You <laughs> shouldn't idolize him just because he's the main character of a movie. Right. It's it's, it's, it's the same. White. Yeah, it's Walter White. It's uh, uh, Tony Soprano. I mean, it's, it's yeah. what you do it's with like, these characters, because it's always like immediately you, you realize that there's this fan base that's like, oh, this guy's a hero. And Pacino got this a lot because he's also Tony Montana in Scarface, which yeah, that's a De Palma movie, actually. Come to think of it. Oh. Yeah, that movie kind of sucks. <laughs> I'm not no, a fan. I or at least. It's been a long time since I've seen it. It always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. You know, it's okay. the Say Hello to My Little Friend movie. Yeah. You know, him snorting it's... tons of cocaine. Yeah, yeah, the movie that Grand Theft Auto Vice City is basically based on. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Godfather 2, pretty yeah. fucking good. It's it's great. We'll totally have to cover it sometime. Um, uh, Another perfect movie, one of, like, yeah. the five sequels that's good. Yeah, it it totally rips. Uh, so we have eleven picks from the Watch Stacks this week, uh, starting with Axion Mutante. <coughs> this is the one with that incredible logo. Yeah, the the wheelchair hammer hammer and sickle thing. So it's uh, as as I wrote in my letterbox review, it is a movie that feels like its ideal form would have been as an animated series that aired between The Head and Aeon Flux. Oh, wow. Really, it has that kind of tone. It feels like one of those sorts of things. It's very exaggerated. It's very 90s absurd nihilism. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, Preacher has sort of a strain of this. Okay. It's The thing is, you have this mutant terrorist group, and they're, it's, it's sort of an idiocracy-type future where... Uh, the rich are extremely beautiful and they're all these fitness gurus and stuff. And then the poor are often disabled or uh, just, you know, they're the unbeautiful. So their, their thing as revolutionaries is they're like supposed to be kidnapping health gurus and trying to hold them for ransom, but they're terrible at it. So they keep just murdering everyone. Oh. And then, uh, cause the part of the problem is their leader who it turns out is basically just, you know, a cult leader who has recruited them all for nefarious reasons to use them as sort of uh, human shields up to the point that he can commit the crime that he's aiming to do. But they all sort of are true believers. <clears throat> okay. Uh, but, you know, gradually it's revealed that, you know, he's, he's not on the level and he's just doing this all for money and trying to ransom this debutante that they kidnap and it's them taking her to this planet where they're going to ransom her to her father who's some insane weapons millionaire you know her name's patty 
She gets Stockholm <laughs> syndrome. They do the whole thing. I was just thinking, like, <clears throat> this kind of sounds like Patty Hearst. Yeah, yeah, they they completely do the whole thing, uh, but like in exactly the sort of style that uh, should be Aeon Flux, you know? <laughs> okay. It was interesting. So, like as I said, Alex de la Iglesia, it's the guy who next did Day of the Beast. Oh, so right. So it has right. the priest from that as one of the main guys. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, next up is Willie Dynamite. I <laughs> sent you a couple clips from this. Yeah, so um, I can't help but think that this could be one of the inspirations for Black Dynamite. I'm totally certain it is, because this one is actually a pretty key major black exploitation film. It's, I think, one of the few that was made by an actual major studio. Okay. Uh, And it's fascinating, because I I guess part of the reason that it's a little less well-known than something like Shaft or Superfly, uh, it's, he's not a hero, (laughs) not in any way. He's not the protagonist, basically. He's the protagonist, but you're kind of... You're watching his downfall. It's the dismantling of a pimp. Uh, oh, because it's, it's like him riding high. You know, he shows up in his purple and gold fucking uh, souped up supercar, which I think my recollection is in like one of the early Dirty Harry films that was probably after this, because I think this is the same year as the first one or something. Maybe a, I'm a little bit off. No, this is after. But anyway, oh, there's someone guns down a pimp who kind of looks like Willie Dynamite in a car that looks a lot like Willie Dynamite's in like the opening scene. And I wonder if this movie just really pissed off that the director of that, which I think is <laughs> John Milius, who uh, is the basis of Walter in Big Lebowski. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. So that guy made a dirty, hairy movie. Doesn't treat his women well. We we see that he is kind of an asshole. Uh, it it's, it doesn't glamorize anything about the hoe lifestyle. The the police decide to sort of foreclose on him, and they just keep arresting his women, and they keep sort of harassing him, and it sort of erodes his status, and he's sort of. Uh, gradual, like it is his gradual downfall as a pimp, and him having to re reestablish himself uh, as a different sort of person. Dang, that that sounds interesting. So it's you know their very gradual trajectory toward each other, wherein along the way we just see them murder people and murder people and murder people, and then finally <laughs> at the end they collide. Sort of weird. Uh, not like it's. Difficult Steckler. It's a Steckler that you kind of need to brace yourself for. I feel like it's not a good entry level Steckler. Okay. Okay. But I will, as I said, definitely be coming back to the Chooper pretty soon. <laughs> Chooper. The Chooper. <laughs> How can you not uh, come back to the Chooper? Just exactly. Burying him. That's right. Next up, we've got Pawakatsi. Sequel to it doesn't do any of the chanting. Uh, this one's got a very different soundtrack, but it's very you know thunderous and stuff. Uh, you've seen the Truman Show, right? I have seen the Truman Show. Most of the Truman Show soundtrack is borrowed from Pawakatsi. Don't remember any of the soundtrack. (laughs) That's fair. It's you know it's a Philip Glass score, but it's mostly taken from this and another movie. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's. 
you know, it's similar to the first one, except this one, it's much more focused on people, uh, but in developing countries. I think we've seen this one on a movie night many years ago. Totally possible. Uh, it, it's it got this really powerful horn-based score, the ba 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 And it's uh, a lot of just, like, uh, people doing work. You know, you've got, like, Brazilian gold mines. You see uh, all sorts of mostly what you'd call third-world cultures. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it slowly moves into cities, but cities in those cultures, and it sort of just shows more of the ills of society, and it kind of does feel a little more sour than the first one by the end, even though most of it, with all of the humanity where it's sort of celebrating, uh, being very ground level, it's it doesn't, it has very few of, like, the famous aerial shots or big time lapses, it's more just like much more of a straight ethnography. Okay. No, uh, yeah. it's interesting. This sounds really familiar. It's totally uh, possible that we, we have watched it. Cause it's this, one I've seen a lot. Does this one have a scene where there's like a small pile, small child, like picking through like a junk pile. And then it zooms out to reveal that it's like this gigantic junk pile. Maybe. I think that might be Baraka. Because we we did a few different that ones sounds, like this. I think that's familiar. Baraka, uh, uh, which you know is what I bet that's it. Totally in the same mold. A movie that like I would say is heavily inspired by Koyaanisqatsi and Pawakatsi. Okay. Yeah, you know it's the other really good one, Nakoyakatsi. Uh, not so much, but I haven't rewatched that one in a while. I shouldn't say definitely that it's horrible, but my recollection is that it's not so good. Right. <laughs> is great though. Not as good. Like it's it's right. clearly less focused and it feels kind of I don't know. One of the cool things is, you know, it has the you know the TV sequences in Koinoscotsi where it's just montages uh, of broadcast television. Oh yes, yes. It does a few sequences like that, but it sort of uses sort of primitive video morphing effects. So it's sort of like uh, pieces of broadcast news sort of uh, morphing into one another and just like, you know, commercials and all sorts of stuff. It's pretty cool. Oh, cool. Next up is Freeway, wherein uh, Renee Zellweger, I think I may have said Drew Barrymore previously, but it's Renee Zellweger when she's very, very young. Okay. Uh, and Kiefer Sutherland. So it's her a couple years before election. You know, election? Uh, I don't know election. Okay, well, uh, it's uh, she's 20, but she's playing, I think she's supposed to be 15 or 16, and she's uh, very developed for her age. She uh, <laughs> is tricking on the side, uh, and the thing is, at the beginning, her parents get hauled away for meth and prostitution. Like, her, her rather, her mom and her stepdad, who's kind of a danger to begin with. I, I see. Uh, it's one of those uh, things. It's... Real harsh. Uh, so she is, but she's very tough. And it's Little Red Riding Hood. She is Little Red Riding Hood. And uh, her boyfriend, Chopper, he's a gangbanger, obviously. You know, he's he's a gang guy. Right. Uh, and, I was just thinking of Chopper. Right. He's Chopper because he's the wood chopper, you know, the, in the, the forest man. Oh, okay. okay. In, you know, in the classic Little Red Riding Hood. Anyway, 
she's she has to get out of town because you know uh, they're they're gonna put her in an institution because her parents have been dragged away and she's still underage. So she starts hitchhiking. Who should pick her up? But Bob Wolverton. Wolverton. Uh, <laughs> the big bad wolf. Uh, oh, oh by Wolverton. Wolverton. Uh, so Kiefer Sutherland as the I-5 killer. Oh, he's uh, he's he's an Ed Kemper. Exactly. Oh, uh, that's who you don't want to get picked up by. But she's pretty tough for him. Uh, she is much more streetwise than the sort of girls he usually picks up. So it turns into a he said, she said thing because ultimately she kind of gets the drop on him and shoots him. And then he tries to put her in prison. Oh, the, oh uh, well, okay, she's that's... trying to like act like he, well, she's trying to tell everyone that he is the I five killer. And like, no, I stopped a serial killer. Don't you understand? Yeah, but he's like, no, I'm Keith or Sutherland. I'm a hot vampire sometimes. Uh, he's not so hot after she shoots him in the face. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, which is him for like half of the movie. Oh, oh so this, so that happens early on. Oh, yeah, This yeah. is going to be interesting. It's really, really dark. Like, if you're thinking of like 90s edgy, this is on the very extreme end of the scale, but it's kind of great. Edgier than seven? Oh, way edgier than seven. <laughs> oh boy, because <laughs> it's more like going back to that. I was like, oh man, this is yeah, too it's, much. It's super edgy in that degree, and it's like, um, well, as I mentioned earlier, preacher, not preacher the TV series, but preacher the comic. It's got some of that energy to it. Oh, okay. Uh, next up is Burning Paradise. So this is based on uh i think it's one of many movies based on this one guy uh what is his name a uh, feng sayuk who's sort of one of these major uh kung fu legends i've heard that name jet lee did a pair of movies that like the legend of feng sayuk and fist oh. of legend okay right? yeah yeah that'll be where i heard it yeah so this is a, a feng sayuk film uh, and at the beginning, it's, you know, the Shogun has decided that uh, to completely destroy the Shaolin Temple, burn it down, uh, put everyone in a super prison, super kung fu prison, super trap prison. <laughs> I'm just imagining the shrieking Shogun saying all this. <laughs> right. We, we don't ever actually get the Shogun. We just get the evil guy who is sort of a Mangala type who runs the prison and is just like wanting to kill everyone. And he's got all these, he, he collects women and has, uh, he, he does these evil paintings and he thinks he's connected with, I don't know, evil forces and stuff. Uh, the weird thing is like, it's extremely dark. It's insanely gory. Like most people oh. get killed off in hilariously, disgustingly gory ways. I sent you a couple clips from this too. It's the one where the horse gets it with the flying guillotine. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, here's how Luca Brasi got the horse. Here's how he dealt with the guy's horse. Yeah, sure. Uh, and it has, you know, before that you see Feng Sayuk cut a guy in half on horseback and you just see like his top half go flying off backwards <laughs> and it's and, like a lot of really bloody gory stuff, but the humor is so corny and juvenile, like just so <laughs> much gay panic. Oh, uh, no. it's, 
it's it's a contrast of humor much like stingray aforementioned because it's just got like incredibly silly humor like there's a part where they rescue this guy who's been in a body pile for quite some time and uh they you know he's their master and they're very glad to see him again and they hug and he's like oh, you don't go in for that gay stuff <laughs> like wow this movie just the tone is wild all over the place it doesn't hmm. <laughs> <laughs> next up we've got horrors of malformed men uh woo, this one's weird i oh. think this is maybe a primary inspiration on gemini oh so it's based on the works of uh, uh edagawa uh, yeah edagawa rampo who's sort of like the guy who invented iroguro the erotic grotesque you know oh, yeah, gore yeah. porn basically iroguro oh boy okay uh so it's sort of a, a collection of his short stories that they sort of adapted into a single narrative quote unquote uh there's it it's it just keeps shifting like a dream and it shifts like genres as well as plot and character because like we're following this guy and at first it seems like he's a doctor doing his rounds in this really weird mental institution where some people are like just all colored orange you know okay. <laughs> and he we get to the end of the tour and the guard tells him to get in his cell and it, he realizes he's actually an inmate here, even though everybody has been calling him doctor and he has kind of a freak out. And then he gets out, he escapes and he's on a train and he's reading a newspaper in the newspaper. It has a picture of a guy who looks exactly like him, just his exact double who just died. And he's this rich heir to a fortune. OK, that's handy. He's like, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm going to go replace myself with the corpse we'll stage a resurrection it'll be great i'm going to become this guy (laughs) but it turns out this guy has some weird shit going on as this whole haunted past uh which he is actually himself connected to because obviously he's his exact double because he's his long lost twin brother uh and there's a father who is kind of doing an island of dr moreau thing but he's mostly just making people into scary freaks to do a scary freak revolution as you do yeah uh and yeah it just keeps shifting uh it feels like you know a nightmare and then the last form of it for some reason is like a detective procedural because like a police detective shows up and tells you how everything actually did fit together in fact (laughs) (laughs) interesting uh next up is thirst which is an an exploitation vampire movie uh, I, I I mentioned that quote to you about uh, vampirism being the ultimate aristocratic act. Right. Yes. Um, which is not incorrect. This is pretty good line. Uh, so it's, it's this group of rich vampires who, you know, it, it it's not like classic vampire stuff. You know, they don't worry about sunlight. That doesn't bother them. They're crosses and all of that. They they're just. You know, people who live forever by drinking blood. Right. That's all. Uh, so they've found a way to automate the process. Uh, they've got this 
farm in Australia where they have all these farm fresh Australian youth who they just like let run free range around the area. And then they, you know, come and pump them for blood and, you know, uh, they package it in cartons and send it out to people. They're subscribers. It's better than uh, factory farmed Australian child blood. Yeah, hey, not so bad. Uh, and the the thing is, they there's this last descendant of Countess Bathory, who's their greatest inspiration. So they're like, you know, for a poster child to sell to the other vampires in the world, it would be pretty cool if we could get Countess Bathory to be behind us here. We'll make her a vampire, even against her will. It's cool. Oh, hey, um, you know, you don't want the face of your organization to be there against their will. Well, yeah, so the, a lot of the movie is them trying to court her after they've kind of already made her a vampire, because the thing is, they just send her a carton of this blood, which looks like a carton of milk, right. disguised as a carton of milk, basically. But like she sets it down and her cat is just so excited for it. Her cat's like, oh, my God, I want this. I don't understand why it's so much better than it usually is. <laughs> so then she like leaves the room to go like phone someone. And then the cat has knocked it over and is just very much enjoying this carton of blood. Uh <laughs> And she's like, hey, what the hell? And she kind of uh, scoots it away and she tastes it to find out what it is. And then she becomes a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it. that's that's one way to do it. So, yeah. And then, you know, they kidnap her and they're like, we're, we're just going to take you to our complex and you'll learn about our life. And you'll understand how it's, you know, great. You're going to be rich and live forever. Won't that be cool? <laughs> right. uh, strange, strange movie. Very interesting, honestly. Next up, we've got Sex is Crazy. <laughs> it sure is. It's like uh, Cinderella 2000. You remember Cinderella 2000? Oh, like I just, shall never forget that. <laughs> it's a Jess Franco version of that, kind of. Remember Jess Franco? I, you've never seen any of his stuff, but I've talked about him a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hazy Sex Nightmare. Is my right, go -to right. <laughs> okay, this, I remember now. This one, like, it's... This is uh, Franco, Francisco Franco, or the, the dictator had died, so they were finally able to like have nudity and sex in films in Spain. So he's like, oh, shit, I'm going to celebrate the hell out of this. Let's do a really <laughs> movie with just so much sex, uh, which is you know, his thing. He, he has lots of sex in his movies, and it's kind of like softcore sequences that just go on forever, uh, but <laughs> in just sort of a weird, dreamy sort of way. Uh, and this is like a movie. the dwarf scene in Cinderella 2000. Yes. Uh, and hints that sort of thing endlessly over and over. Uh, and this movie has stuff like that where it's just completely off the wall because like th there's an opening scene, which I think is maybe a tribute to Alien or something. When is this? Yeah, this is 81. I'm pretty sure it's referencing Alien because they're uh, colored all black. Like it's not a black face. Like they're just all black body paint aliens. Uh, and then there's just a whole bunch of them who <laughs> the, both the men, males and the females of the species all like they kidnap this lady. And then they're just like all running a train on her because like both the male and females are able to impregnate her. And then like within nine seconds, she gives birth every time. And it's just like, oh, fuck. It's, you know, the, the accelerated growth cycle of the alien. And then it, that's the opening sequence. That's how we start the movie. And just oh my like, God. What, what, when the fuck's happening? And then it, it turns out it's a fantasy that this lady's having on the set of a porno picture she's shooting. So we have this level of reality that's the porno movie. And then we have them in the movie and we're watching scenes from the movie. And then we're having fantasies that the actors are having on set of the movie. And it's never clear at what time 
any of those are happening. You know, it could be at any, it could be any of them at any time. Sometimes right. we'll see a director, we'll see the crew and like, well, maybe we're, we're watching them making the porno right now, rather than this being an <laughs> error in the movie. It doesn't matter. So it's that kind of thing. It's very disjointed, but you know, it's pure, pure uncut Franco. All right. That sounds kind of fun. Speaking of pure uncut, next is Bad Boys 2, the most Michael Bay movie. More than I'm not Transformers? Saying it's, <laughs> it's just, this is him, like, him coming back to Bad Boys, which is, I mean, I don't know how I feel about this movie. I'm very conflicted about this movie because some of it is absolutely fucking terrible and sucks. Right. Uh, the comedy is so bad. It is just noxiously bad. But I can't decide if this movie is horrible or brilliant, but I do think it's transcendent trash, like there's something special about it. It's the most maximal action Michael Bay can do without it turning into the Transformers complete incoherent mayhem. Okay. Because, you know, this is post the rock post armageddon this is where he's fully established and he can just really go all in it's very expensive it's two and a half hours long and it has them as the miami police invade cuba at the end (laughs) um it's like the last 45 minutes they invade cuba they have rocket launchers they uh run away to guantanamo bay to escape the cuban military who are chasing them and they (laughs) crash through like people's houses and stuff in a humvee and then uh they fight a guy and there is like it's it's insanely gory some of the action sequences are just nuts there's a part where they're following a morgue truck that is dropping dead bodies that are getting like their heads run over it's just it's so maximal it's insane wow uh i i didn't know that will smith was going to invade cuba well so the other thing is it's very clear in this movie that his character mike lowry is an evil sociopath who likes killing people that's sort of his whole deal okay he doesn't care about anyone he's really like cruel to martin lawrence's character who is just going through some shit uh he shoots him in the ass in the first scene and there's a very bad gay panic scene where they're talking about it in an electronic store and it's being recorded and then it's on all of the TVs and everyone thinks they're talking about being gay. No, ho, ho, ho. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's just such a bizarre mix. It's the most American thing ever. It feels like the perfect embodiment of that moment in 2003, where everyone's just like, we're a couple years past nine 11 and can we just be fucking stupid as hell for a little while? And that was an interesting time. Yeah. And I think this, better embodies it than anything else and it's sort of just like the the special thing with it is i can't decide if it's on one side it seems like it's an adolescent fantasy played to the hilt at its most absurdist and just like really leaning into the two boys who are teenagers with kind of limited imaginations and very uh limited understanding of the realities of the world playing cops And it's just (laughs) showing their fantasy world because it's very heightened and ridiculous or more charitably, if, you know, viewing it from having seen ambulance, it's 
Michael Bay sort of doing a satire on just the absolute maximal terrifying militarized nature of the police and how there's this very rich guy who is just working for the police because it's a way he can get away with murdering people uh, officially and invading Cuba and doing whatever the hell he wants. That's that sounds interesting. And I, I would be interested in watching that and comparing it to ambulance because ambulance is very self-aware Michael Bay, which I had never seen before. Right. And this like feels unself-aware, but yeah. <laughs> comparing that point in time with this one, I think could be interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, like I, I, I hated a lot of it and I loved a lot of it. And it's just hard to extricate the two parts. Cause there's just, it's so weird. It's just okay. like, it is uh, a special rainbow of trash. And last up is Ride in the Whirlwind, which is another Monty Hellman minimalist Western. Oh, okay. This one's a little less minimalist than the shooting or a little less experimental. Uh, so there's it, it's these three cowhands. They're riding through a box canyon and they come on this cabin. Uh, two of them are Jack Nicholson and Cameron Mitchell. Oh, okay. So do you, you, you know Cameron Mitchell? Oh, that name rings a bell. You've seen uh, him in The Uninvited. Right. The Uninvited, the, the one where uh, he's the captain of the boat with the cat, and the, they put the a cat, cat in the cat. The, the cat in yeah. the cat, so you can purr while you purr. Yeah, so uh, cat can come out to kill people or mean to the other cat. Yeah. So he's the captain of the boat there. He's sort of angry bad guy. Uh, he's also the captain of the boat in Raw Force. Oh, yeah. You know, the movie about uh, the kung fu sex crews who crash on the island of cannibal monks i don't think i've seen that you one totally have seen it okay it's very bizarre uh but it like that that's like the pull quote that's the real base quote it's strange and it goes a lot of places he's the captain and uh they they have all these kung fu people on a cruise and then it gets attacked by pirates and then some of them wash up on the beach ah it's, it's a special kind of thing Anyway, Ride in the World. I really drunk when I saw that then. Totally I possible. remember nothing. Uh, so anyway, Ride in the Whirlwind, uh, it's Cameron Mitchell. Yeah, patron saint of Red Letter Media, I guess would be right. the thing. He's, they, they have a framed picture of him on their Best for Worst Hall of Fame, I believe. <laughs> so it's young-ish him and very young Jack Nicholson and this other dude. But he doesn't last long. So they, okay. they, they come into this cabin and uh, there's... A very young Harry Dean Stanton playing Dean Stanton. He still looks exactly the same. He's just <laughs> old guy forever, just like uh, Abe Vigoda, as we talked about last week. Right. Ernest Borgnine. Oh, yes. Ernest Borgnine, one time he played Kirk Douglas's father. But he's a month younger than Kirk Douglas. <laughs> he just, like, it, it works. All right. <laughs> he's one of those guys. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton uh, it's him with an eye patch, and he's the leader of this gang and they're holed up and a bunch of vigilantes big posse they close in they have the place surrounded and just by having been out in the yard these guys sort of become part of the bad guys and they, okay. they kill the, the main guys who are there and then it's just them on the run and they're like man we're outrunning this thing this posse because we just were in the wrong place at the wrong time and there's absolutely no way to tell them that 
<laughs> so yeah, it's you know it's very minimal. It's them trying to escape, and uh, it's it's hard and bleak. All right. Um, so those I, are our eleven picks. What do you figure? I'm curious about a young Jack Nicholson. I'm not going to lie, uh, but there was a there's a good argument to be made for picking the Bad Boys too as well. This time, I think this time we're going to go with Freeway. All righty, Freeway. Uh, yeah, Freeway, a really interesting movie. I had seen it before in the VHS era and been uh, suitably awed by it. <laughs> uh, this director also did a Ted Bundy biopic that is coming up from Vinegar Syndrome pretty soon. Oh. Which I'm kind of hyped for. Yeah. Should be arriving in the next week, as I understand it. Cool, cool. So we have a handful of additions to the main stacks before we move on to our pick. Uh, even though we, again, won't be picking from them. We should just go through them so we're all caught up. Mm-hmm. First up is Les Chiens, The Dogs. Uh, this is a French movie uh, about... Uh, there there was this trend in France for a little while for people to get attack dogs to protect them. But right. then in these rich areas where they have all these people who live in these hyper-dense populations and these high-rises and shit, uh, all of these people have these dogs trained to attack people. Oh, no. Yeah, and things just get fucking out of hand. So it's a true story in that sense, although this is a fictional version of it. Cool. Uh, Next is The Satan Bug. The uh, Satan Bug. It's The Stand, basically. You know, it's The Stand, but done in the 60s. Right, okay. They, uh, you know, they, they, there's a super bug that, you know, a laboratory creates a, a virus that could kill all of humanity, and then, you know, so, someone maybe gets out with it. Uh, you know, it's kind of the thing that kind of happens with those. Man, you'd think, like, maybe you shouldn't just create a virus that, uh, is going to eradicate all humanity. Maybe you just shouldn't do that because it always gets out. It never doesn't get out. Yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of the point of these sort of movies, but you know, there's always someone working on this sort of shit. I can control the xenomorph. Yeah. I mean, those people were wrong though. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the same sort of hubris that. Yeah. Prometheus but I'll do is it all right. About. Yeah. Uh, next is the Las Vegas serial killer, which is the next one in the Ray Dennis Teckler box. Ooh. It's a pretty straight slasher thing. There's a serial killer in Las Vegas. <laughs> he's, okay. he's killing women. Uh, you know. Okay, so yeah, Las Vegas serial killer. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not not much to it. Uh, uh, it it probably seems like the uh, it, it probably will be very similar in style to uh, the, the the Skid Row Slasher one. Okay. Next is Nude on the Moon. Hey, it's uh, another Doris Wishman. I believe this is her first main main feature. Wait, hold on. So now we're going to have a Doris Wishman movie that takes place on the moon? Partially, yeah. Or is it just yeah. going to be an apartment on the moon? So I think it might be in a it might be set at a nudie beach because this is one of them nudie cuties. Oh, uh, you know the the early days of uh, well, you know if we're shooting at a nudist colony, it's okay to have nude people in a movie. I see. So the, they 
you know, there's this rocket scientist. You know, it's a trip to the moon, basically. You know, the, the classic 1901 short where they fire a rocket and then it lands in the moon's eye. You know, they do that sort of thing. But it's this rich guy who's, you know, doing a Prometheus sort of thing to go to the moon first. And then uh, they find that it's just full of nude ladies. That's, cool. You know, who, that's who lives on the moon, just all, all these nude ladies. All right. <laughs> uh, that was got, a productive day at the NASA launch pad. Yeah. Next, we've got A Fugitive from the Past. It was a very highly acclaimed Japanese film, uh, I think based on this very famous novel. It's about this these this guy uh he's these three dudes rob a ferry or something or they they commit a robbery at the same time that this ferry sinks that's this huge disaster and they get away with the robbery money and it's this really big cold case for some time but because the the one guy kills the other two okay yeah he jokers it up yeah uh and then you know it's, it's it's a very long movie i think it's three hours long and it's just sort of this huge uh epic like going after this cold case years later okay based on a 1700 page novel oh my god next we've got the quatermass experiment uh this is uh also known as the creeping unknown it is a very important work of British sci-fi. It's sort of like fundamental to British sci-fi, sort of like a main inspiration for things like Doctor Who, as I understand it. Oh, okay. This is like 1955. It's sort of like the uh, one of the main starting points of British sci-fi cinema. All right. So, so it's this, you know, the spacecraft comes back to Earth and it's got, you know, it's, it's sort of an alien prototype. It's got something on board that... Uh, is going to infect someone and the two of the three astronauts are just gone for some reason and the third one there's something wrong with them oh dear yeah so you know you got to get your dr quatermass in to come figure this shit out before things go really bad there's a whole series of quatermass movies they're quite interesting cool cool and of course boyzek as mentioned before peas klaus kinski but this week we will be picking from the upside down stacks you know we've been doing these resolution stacks so this time uh you know we, we we've had sort of a theme to each of them you know we uh both sort of controlled our own universe we each did a full pick without any restrictions we uh we picked some stuff from the first three stacks we did some you know cleaning we hit our to-do list uh-huh now, this time we're going to explore new territories. We're going into the upside down stacks. This is a bunch of stuff, about 40 movies, that are at the bottom of a bunch of different active stacks. Yeah, uh, there is a lot of stuff here that I had never heard of. In fact, there is only one movie on here that I have seen, and it's Beavis and Butthead to America. Classic. Yeah. Uh, so a part of the, I, I guess, uh, some of these are very small stacks. Some of them are very big. Uh, right. I'll, I'll I'll totally answer any questions you have regarding that. Uh, I, I guess one of the thing is most of the stuff here is stuff that I w- I haven't been in a big hurry to rewatch. So a lot of these are things that I have seen before. A few of them are just weird stuff. Like there's the Bellboy and the Playgirls, which is uh, the first film co-directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, okay. It's a 3D nudie cutie. <laughs> what? <laughs> he directed the 3D sequences. 
so yeah, you, you got just kind of oddities in there that I'm not like not in a huge hurry to see. So they're just at the bottom. But yeah, or or there's stuff from people who are problematic that I haven't been in a rush to do because I don't think you'd be super interested. Because there's a couple. I think there's like three Woody Allen movies here. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan of his. Yeah, Although I, I think his movies are great movie though. He's got he's got some great movies, but they're yeah, very him based, so it's tough. Yeah, I did see uh, as I was looking through these earlier uh, a Roman Polanski film. Now yep. he's a controversial character for true, uh, true reasons. Yeah, Bitter Moon that that one's him. Yeah, uh, not one of his better movies. Really weird movie though. Interesting. Okay, uh, so there's only one that I've seen and only a handful that I've even heard of. Right. Uh, the ones I've heard of being War of the Worlds, of course, which of course. we have referenced before. Recently. Uh, recently. After Fake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which I just know the title. I know nothing about it. Based on a play, uh, Richard Burton and uh, oh, uh, Elizabeth Taylor just sort of brawling with each other as this very angry academic older couple and they have a younger couple over so that they have an audience to tear each other apart <laughs> all right uh the other one i've heard of is that of <clears throat> course which we've referenced multiple times since we do so many slashers uh the texas chainsaw massacre of course yeah yeah which is on my list of ones that i gotta get around to the original that might be it for stuff that i've heard of well, there's Future World, which is the sequel to Westworld, the oh, original right. Westworld movie. Yeah. Uh, there's, let's see, what, what do we got here? Black Sunday is a really key early giallo horror by Mario Bava. Oh. Uh, it's, uh, its original title is Black Sabbath. It's where the band got their name from. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, Black Sunday. That sounds like Black Sabbath. Indeed it is. <laughs> Uh, zombie is Lucio Fulci's zombie. It's sort of, uh, I think it was called Zombie Flesh Eaters 2 in some places, or Zombie Flesh Eaters. You yeah, know, I think it was marketed as 2 because it was marketed as a sequel unauthorized to Dawn of the Dead, but not to Night of the Living Dead. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, very famous zombie movie. Got some really intense gore. It's got a part where a zombie fights a shark. Nice. Nice. Um, hmm. So those are some interesting, interesting oh, there's, picks. There's Blackbeard's Ghost, which I've spoken of a few times. <laughs> right, right. Peter Ustinov is the ghost of Blackbeard, and he helps out a teen track team. Uh, it's, a, it's a Disney movie. <laughs> I think I've actually seen this on oh, TV okay. as a kid. That totally uh, tracks. It was one of those like live-action Disney movies yes. that always played on CBC. That, yeah, that's very likely. I kind of love it, but it is trash. Like, it is not good, but uh, I, I love Peter Ustinov. There's right. uh, there's The Lost Weekend, which is a pretty famous movie about uh, sort of the first Hollywood movie to really grasp with or grapple with alcoholism and oh. an alcoholic character. It's pretty interesting. Okay, uh, and there's cool. Charlie, which is uh, Flowers for Algernon. Uh, not familiar with that. Uh, it's it's uh, you've seen versions of it. It's uh, you know the Simpsons episode where Homer has the crayons up his nose. 
and then oh. he becomes smart. That's, right. <laughs> that's a Flowers for Algernon story. He becomes okay. intelligent for a while, and then it starts to go away. It's that. I see, I see. Lots to choose from. Um, mm-hmm. Any Is there anything in here that particularly stands out as, this is a Shanna movie? Hmm, I'm not sure. Uh, Although... A Shanna movie is pretty broad <laughs> now. Define. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't actually think I could do it. Mm. Um, why don't we just go ahead? And I haven't seen enough Jallo over the years, so let's do the Black Sunday. All right. I could make Aussie jokes. Yeah, uh, it, it's a great movie too. Some uh, really important early. Uh, just influential 60s horror right at the beginning of the 60s. Cool. Oh, yeah, 1960. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, next week we will be covering Black Sunday and Freeway and into some of our horror and horror-adjacent roots. <laughs> oh, I've done it again. Uh, yeah, it should be fun <laughs> stuff. All right. right on. So uh, any last thoughts before we close for this evening you know i was gonna do a shrieky thing but it's like almost midnight <laughs> all Get right together see. movie guys this is why didn't they run to the side mm, you should have veered 40 feet to the side while outrunning this giant monolith that's falling on them that's what i would have done i would have tackled the terrorists anyway <laughs> thanks everyone so much for listening uh Closing here on the soothing sounds of the stacks. Good night, people. Howdy, everyone. Drive Time Jay here. We had a bunch of stupid audio issues this week, and also we screwed up when we were talking about our picks. So first, uh, our actual lineup of pictures next week will be Black Sabbath and Freeway, not Black Sunday. Confusion, of course, being because there are two separate keynote discs for the two separate cuts of Black Sabbath. It's what I had in mind, and the one we were intending to cover, Black Sunday, we'll probably get to another time also. But uh, Black Sabbath, because of the uh, obvious major influence on the giallo from one of the three sequences in that. Also wanted to note that we had a bunch of annoying audio problems, there were some dropouts, so there are a few places where there are gaps in the conversation. Apologies, I don't know what happened to them, they just weren't there in the recording for some strange reason. Uh, Most notably, we lost most of the discussion for uh, the Hollywood Strangler meets the Skid Row Slasher, Ray Dennis Steckler film, the second one we were talking about, and uh, the the Willie Dynamite one was a little bit jumbled. Apologies for that, hopefully we won't have any issues like that in future. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and have a great week.